Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. My name is Jim Towns. I'm your host. And with me is a slightly under the weather, unfortunately, Livio Marino. Hey, Livio. Howdy. Hopefully I'll get out above the weather at some point. Let's hope. We gotta, you got you to climb in elevation and, and uh, get above it, I, I hear. Um, so it's a big episode for us, folks. Uh, it's, in a way, the last of what we started in 2021. And by that, I mean... We're going to do the last of the big eight today. Uh, we've done Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Phantom of the Opera, um, uh, Mummy, Invisible Man, Bride of the Frankenstein. Tonight, we're doing Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, Universal's 1954 entry, and the last of their great Universal Monsters franchises, really. Um, uh, you know, coming... 10, 15, 20 years after, you know, some of the other ones that, that were so, uh, were so important. Um, it's a big deal for us and we're going to try and do it justice. Hopefully, uh, creature from the Lac lagoon from 1954, a scientific team exploring the forgotten lagoon in the Amazon encounter an ancient Devonian man and attempt to catch him. The Gill man has different ideas. Uh, it stars Richard <laughs> Carlson as Dr. David Reed, Julie Adams, billed here as Julia Adams, as Kay Lawrence, Richard Denning as Dr. Mark Williams, Antonio Moreno as Dr. Carl Maia, Nestor Paiva as Captain Lucas, possibly almost my favorite character in the whole film, <laughs> um, Whit Bissell as Dr. Edwin Thompson, uncredited, it stars Ben Chapman as the Gill Man on land, and Rico Browning as the Gill Man underwater, uh, also starring Bernie Gozier as Z and Henry Escalante as Chico, uh, Dr. Maya's assistants. It's directed by Jack Arnold. The underwater scenes are directed by James C. Havens and shot by Charles S. Wellborn. And we're going to be getting into those quite a bit. Um, it was a project uh, conceived by Arthur, Arthur Ross, who was a producer at Universal International at the time. Uh, it was written by Harry Essex and Arthur Ross. Arthur Ross is actually the father of Gary Ross, who wrote Big and The Hunger Games. So, you know, his his legacy is still going strong in uh, in Hollywood today. Um, cool. And it's based on a story by Maurice Zim. Um, let's do let's do sort of a high as we were speaking about to do. Let's do kind of a high altitude pass here, Olivia. Let's uh, let's get kind of your overall beginning thoughts uh, about attacking. A film is as famous and legendary as as this one. Well, it's daunting, uh, to be honest. It's it's a yeah. little it's a little um, intimidating. You know, this is such a <clears throat> the creature from the black lagoon is, is such a such a, a I guess a, a mainstay just in science fiction and horror and even in just pop pop culture in general. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of a in a way, almost a little bit like you know King Kong, it just kind of starts out as a, a simple story and and you know put together as as a B movie, just a little science fiction movie that that was going to be among the you know the craze yeah. that Universal started with 
it came from outer space and and it it turned into something much much more uh lasting right um and and it's you talk about you know the influence that this movie has had not just in the genre but just but just in film filmmakers and writers in general um and i think this was you know with i think this was as close as universal ever got to recreating frankenstein and Mm -hmm. and what i what i mean by that is that you have this it's not necessarily a supernatural creature but it's this monstrous you know creature that that's not human in, in any way um at least not till the third film, but, uh, right. um, right. And, but yet the audience just totally sympathizes, you know, with, with them. And, and you get the, you can sense emotion from this creature or this gill man, you know, you, you feel sorry for him in a way. And, you know, especially for me, you know, as watching this movie, just as a kid, you know, as a, as a monster kid and, and seeing all the, action shots and all the cool underwater stuff and and we like oh yeah you know monster movies and you know the creature and, and all that stuff and then of course as i get older and and watch it and seeing more of the actual story and then realizing that you know th- what this expedition is trying to do and and how disruptive it's it's being to this mm-hmm. hidden his hidden you know natural habitat invading his his home um right you know you you really feel feel sympathy for the character and, and you know that's something that is is so i think so big when it comes to storytelling especially stuff from this genre where you can create a a monster you know a, a monstrous non-human character and have the audience sympathize and, and feel emotions you know toward it the same as you would you know any human character in the story great yes yeah i, I think and I'll just say that that I do I, I agree with you totally. And I think <clears throat> I, I think the character did find longevity because of it, it, the sympathetic nature of it. Like it came from another world. The the, the thing the mon- the alien in the movie is not really that sympathetic. It's 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 kind of a bastard, you know. It's 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 just a thing. Um, yeah. So you know the Gilman's the by nature he's he's. Yes, he is he amphibious, but he's vaguely human shaped. Obviously, he's got a head on his shoulders and arms and two legs and the whole the whole business. So, so I do think he 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 brings that sort of uh, sim, you know natural empath empathy uh, from us. Um, I agree. I I think I really think of Creature from Black Lagoon as kind of the bridge between classic horror and what would become modern horror. Um, yeah, absolutely. And. And he, and he is science fiction. I mean, it really is. A, while there's no spaceships and there's no tech, you know, extraordinary technology involved in, it is science fiction. It does have this uh, this hypothetical question it, it asks about. Um, and I do think it it wasn't an accident that it came just as we were starting to explore space. Um, this question of what what else is below the Earth and. It is. It's one of my favorite. This, along with the thing from another world, um, to my favorite, absolute favorite, nineteen uh, fifties science fiction films. And it's kind of our first. Is this our first foray into the nineteen fifties, Livio, on the show? Have we done anything from the fifties yet? Yeah, we have. We we didn't we do was one of the Abbott Costellos, I think, was fifty one or oh, something. Oh yeah, 
that's meet true. the killer Boris Karloff, I think. Meet the killer Boris Karloff, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. Well, but hey, you know. Um, but this was definitely a different generation of Universal. Uh, almost no, nobody's at Universal that was there, definitely in the Dracula Frankenstein Invisible Man era, but definitely probably not even in the 40s era too, either. Uh, most lovely. So, you know, just uh, Hans Salter is, is just about, you know, and then. That's true. You know, uh, Bud Westmore was, Bud was Westmore, there for Frankenstein. His, his or, department, sorry, yeah. yeah. Abbott Costello, meet Frankenstein. Abbott Costello, yeah. yeah that's yeah. it. So. So we'll, uh, we'll, and we'll get, we'll definitely get into that. We'll definitely get into the creature. We'll get into the makeup and everything. So, um, a few things off the top. The film was made in, it was shot in 3D and in 2D. Uh, uh, 3D was already, my understanding is 3D was already starting to sort of be on the decline at the, at this point. Um, have you, I, I've seen this film in 3D. Have you ever seen it in 3D, Livio? I have it's, not. Um, I've I've wanted to because I've heard it's a great experience. It really is. It it. I don't know how to say. It. It, it's it's definitely effective. It's it's very effective in two D too. And I think the way you know, so often when they shot things in three D, like say House of Wax, you know, um, it came off. Some shots came off absolutely gimmicky. Like like it was so. It's so obvious they're trying to do something that will have that effect in, in 3d when you see it in th- when, you know, people used to be able to see it in theater that way. Um, this one, like it, especially in the underwater stuff, it's shot so interestingly that I feel like in shooting it for 3d, uh, uh, Jack, ha- James Havens and, and Charles Wellborn, um, they ended up just filming it really dynamically in a way the films kind of weren't filmed kind of almost, you know, POVs and things like that, that it was rarer at the time. And it, it actually just makes those scenes so kinetic that you almost don't even need the 3D. I, I, I'll just say that. Having said that, I'm I'm about to go see Revenge of the Creature on next Sunday at uh, <laughs> at, at the famous Monsters uh, uh, event at the at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood. So I'm really excited to see that because I've never seen that in 3D ever. So, um, uh, we'll get into the film and then we'll kind of you. Know, trail off into the different topics we want to discuss and stuff. Um, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954. It starts off, interesting. you know, it starts off with this kind of prelude about sort of the creation of the world. And it starts off, interestingly, with a Bible quote, which I think is odd. The film is definitely firmly grounded in evolution and science as, um, how do <laughs> yeah. I say this, as, 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 as the saviors of our, of our species, right? You know, like, like, intellect is the hero here in this film so much so much so that the doctors are the heroes in this film the the um back to the black lagoon the documentary that universal has on most of the home video versions of this film uh takes takes note of that i think maybe it's tom weaver isn't it maybe he actually takes note of that 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 they're not mad scientists and you know you know so many of the older universal films the scientists are mad scientists and in this one the the scientists are the heroes it's really interesting Dr. David Reed and such. Well, yeah, one of them it, is at least. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's we'll a little that. bit of a of a trend, I think that that started with um, it came from outer space. You know, where, mm-hmm. whereas you know you've got this this, for lack of a better term, the, the big brained you know scientist, the the guy yeah. that can actually figure almost like a. This is going to be a stretch, but just go with me on this for a minute. But almost okay. like the professor from Gilligan's Island, you know, somebody who's Right. Who's there smart you go. enough, smart enough to figure out all these problems, understand what things really are, and and come up and create solutions to, you know, to get get through them. And and you yes. see this in, like I said, you see it, it. It came from outer space. This island Earth 
and you know here with creature from the you know, God, the, God, these, Godzilla obviously Godzilla, yeah the, the heroes are all scientists yeah no it, I mean it, and and you know it came from beneath the sea uh, so many other uh, them um, so many other films from this era we, we it really does elevate scientists into these heroes and there's you know there's sort of the eggheads it breaks into smaller court categories where they become the like the egghead scientists and there's sort of the like Doctor Richard Carlson's character Doctor David Reed is definitely the action scientist and um. For some reason, we always go back to Indiana Jones on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite films, so obviously. <laughs> Indiana Jones but, or Mel but, Brooks. So. Yeah, yeah, right. One of those two, right? We, we, haven't, we haven't... Mel Brooks did not do any Creature from the Black Lagoon parody, so there's a possibility Yet. we might not <laughs> cite him. Yeah, true. It could happen. Um, uh, but but I do think Dr. David Reed is sort of a template for uh, a, man, a man of science and intellect who also has this dynamic action side. I mean, the guy, you know, he... He cuts a bathing suit pretty well in this film. He's in good shape, and he's, <laughs> yeah. you know he's he he knows, but but he doesn't use action or violence, especially to him. Those are not solutions to problems. The the, the mind is the solution to to problems, as opposed to Doctor Mark Williams, who very quickly gets into um, you, you wanting to use violence to solve the immediate issue they're dealing with. Um, and, and, and thereby and we have that recognizes, you know, he, he is, he is a scientist and, and you get the impression he's a very smart scientist, but he also yes. is a little bit of a businessman and he recognizes right. the value in, you know, bringing you the creature back to, <laughs> to civilization yeah. and, and yeah. what not, not necessarily alive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, 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 uh, the, uh, monetary value, not the, not the value for science and knowledge right. itself. Yeah. yeah, not the more abstract value, of course. Um, anyway, but I just do think it's interesting. It starts with the Bible quote. Um, and we have, I mean, I love this beginning thing with the smoke and the explosions and, you know, which I don't know, what are the explosions of those volcanoes? I have no idea. And I don't care. It's just awesome. Um, some of that definitely looks like the beginning of it came from another world, though. Or it came from outer space. What's the one that, that Jack Arnold did before this? Yeah, yeah. I think it, did. it came from outer space. It came from outer space, right? Um, um, uh, and then we have this great narration. I have no idea who does the narration. Do you know who does the narration? It. I do not. That's an interesting. I would love to find that out. Um, uh, you know, because it's like, and here's the planet Earth cooling. It, you know, da, 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 da. it's got that very baritone thing. Um, we very quickly get into. Uh, uh, we we see the jungle uh, in the Amazon. Um, Still intact in 1954, much more so than it is now, unfortunately. Um, uh, and there's a dig going on, and uh, the dig's being run by Dr. Carl Maia, uh, who's, a, 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 I assume, a Brazilian uh, or at least South American uh, a scientist. Um, and he has some assistants, some, some native assistants, you know, lo- local dudes. Um, and they find this fossilized claw coming out of a, a rock wall, and they dig it out. And it's this huge finned, clawed thing that's, you know, like... And and obviously it's it's a fossilized version of the creatures the the gill man's hands as we see him pretty soon in the film, um, and it's I always love the gill man's hands and feet are amazing. His hands are big enough to cover an entire human's head, which yeah. you know it, it it makes logical sense because he's got webbed fingers that would enable him to to swim through the water better, obviously. Um, but then you know they are tipped with these insane, horrible, you know you know three inch claws that. 
just just the threat of those things is is terrifying. Like you can just imagine the damage they do, and we end up obviously seeing that. Because one of the Gilman's favorite things to do is to grab people by the face. I mean, did you notice in the film? Like he loves that. That's his go-to kind of. He covers their whole face with it and shoves them, claws them, breaks them. You know, it's it's like his his primary yeah. uh, offensive technique. Yeah. Yeah, and those those claws dig in. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. That yeah. He, that he. Uh, yeah. That he does that too. Hideous, yeah. And they're also probably not very clean. He's got, he's in the water and all the stuff, so there's probably bacteria, you know, right? Um, <laughs> um, my question, my first uh, first actual question for you here, Livio, is what, what do we think is this, is this claw that they find? Because as they find it and they walk away, we pan down and we see a very similar claw coming up out of the water that is not fossilized, that it's alive. Um, is this claw a, 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 an ancient relative of... The Gilman's is it his his mate his partner? I mean, we don't specify, but I, I, when I was watching it, just getting ready for the episode, I was kind of imagining like, what if what if it's his partner? What if it's his you know like how old? That's my question: is how old is the Gilman? Is the Gilman a descendant of a line of species from the the Devonian era, or is he you know eight hundred thousand years old? I wonder. Who knows. What do you yeah, think? I, I, I your, don't know. Um, like, I, what did you think when you were seeing it? I'm sorry, when, when you were young, what did you think? Did did you assume he's almost immortal, or did you assume he's the end of a line, like King Kong is the end of a, a line of species, ancient species, right? Yeah, I think when I was little watching this, it was just more of he was the last one left, and for mm-hmm. whatever reason, you know, he had just, you know, hung around for <laughs> right for hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, the film they talk about how evolution kind of has stopped here in the in this part of the Amazon. So I think the idea is that he's just the uh, the last, you know, like we said, the last, supposedly the last of a species um, uh, uh, that 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 should have gone extinct forever ago. Um, kind of an offshoot. Um, uh, Doctor Maia is trying to figure out what to do about this thing, and he decides that he's going to go to this institute. Uh, downriver or you know more closer to civilization and and get some assistance and he ends up going to uh this institute where dr k well, well dr david reed and k lawrence are uh are working um dr david reed being played by richard carlson k lawrence played by the beautiful julie adams who is the only person who was ever in any of these movies i think that i've actually met she came to the american cinematheque one time when i was still managing there so that was cool because nice. you know yeah. she was 70 she just recently passed away she passed away like a year ago two years ago i think Olivia. I think about two years ago yeah like yeah, yeah. Um, so she must have been 70 something or 80 something at this point and she still looked she was still a knockout she was she looked great um you know i didn't see her in the in the bathing suit she wears in this film so you never know but <laughs> she she definitely looked she looked good in the bathing suit in this movie um I think this little section here at the Institute is, is I think it's filmed near me here. I think it's up in Malibu. It might be down in, might be down in Palos. Part of it looks like Palos Verdes. So I don't know. Um, or Mal- Malibu Beach Cove. Um, the, the film's locations are amazing. I mean, I mean, I'll just stop right now and just talk about like, like, so the film was filmed, you know, in, in, on, on the back lot, of course, uh, in their, in their pond, I believe it was, Part of it was filmed in Florida at this kind of uh, on a private property on this kind of protected uh, area that they found. Uh, part of it, I know there's like, you know, kind of process screen and stuff. And then part of it is here in uh, 
uh, uh, Malibu or wherever, like that's like that. But uh, of all the like the locations of this film fit together perfectly. Like I I watched this film and it never even my mind is never distracted at all. Like where where how did they film this? Where did they shoot? It just it's so seamless, right, man? It's just like oh yeah, it is, and, and that's that's a, a so much of this film from the location to the effects and even the music is just completely seamless and you, yeah. you really do not see you know kind of the the proverbial wires you know yes doing it you know you, you don't see that or you don't really notice that there's more than one person that plays the eagle man or there's three different musical composers you know right <laughs> on yes this and, yes and so on and so forth so yeah no, that's precisely a, that's a great great way to to phrase it there it is yeah yeah Absolutely. Because nothing looks like anything else. Like sometimes in the older Universal films, when they, if they're in, like we've just talked about, like like in um, Weird Woman, when she walks into her house and you look and you're like, wait, that's the house from the Broodman. Like, you know, some of those locations yeah. were familiar. This was like, um, nothing looked like this that that I've seen elsewhere. And I, I know certain parts of this were, were used in other films of the, in the era, but yeah, this was just, this just Spanx is totally, totally new. Um so Dr. David Reed, I'm just probably going to call him David from now on, and Kay um, work together, and they're a romantic couple. Um, Maya kind of gives him grief, like, you know, haven't you gotten him to marry you yet? And she's like, well, you know, she basically says it's just cheaper to live together, I think. Yeah, yeah, she kind of gives, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, the very opening of the first Jurassic Park when you see... Uh, yes, it does, Samuel you're right. And, and Laura Dern's, you know, characters. Dern. And, yeah, yeah, they're... Know, they're partners in in the best in in every good sense of the word, right? I mean, they're they're romantic partners, obviously. They're they're life partners, but they're also like professional partners. They love what they do. They love their work. They you know, um, National Geographic just uh, a channel just had a documentary called Fire of Love, which off topic everybody, but if, if you ever seen, which is about this couple they met in the '60s, uh, this man and woman, and got together and filmed volcanoes for a living for like 35 years or something, and that's just all they did is they they were. They were in love and they, and they filmed all the kids. They shared this amazing passion, you know, which, you know, we should all be so lucky. It's, it's just, it's such a cool thing. Um, uh, so Kay is not a doctor, but Kay is very, very obviously, uh, very expert at this, you know, the topics that, that they cover. So, so they're, they're like marine biologists, basically, um, and, and David respects Kay to the utmost, I, I it seems of her, for her for her intellect and her her knowledge in in the in the area and her you know the way they work together. Um, Kay is sort of David's link to at this institute to Doctor Mark Williams. Mark Williams, uh, Doctor Mark Williams, played by Richard Denning, is their boss, um, and he's also the guy who he's a doctor, but he's also as as Livy and I were talking before we got going on the show, uh, he's also the guy who who raises money to do what they yeah. they need to do because what they do costs money. Obviously, uh, he's the one who gets them grants. He's the one who gets them. I bl- it seems like like private funding as well, like like equity that allows them to do this stuff. So he's he's the money guy. That you know he's he's their producer, shall we say? If 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 I were putting it in my own terms. Um, so because of that. You know, Dr. Moya shows, you know, is telling them, shows them a photo of, of the claw and he says the claw's back at the Institute. They're going to go back there and check it out. Um, and he wants to go back and, and 
you know, study study that area some more to see what else they can find. David instantly gets excited about the possibilities of what this could mean and wants to go too, but they realize that they've got to get Dr. Mark Williams on board too, because obviously they, they can't just go do it themselves. They're going to need his backing. They're going to need the money to mount an expedition into you know, the backwaters of the Amazon. Um, uh, so they're going to need the, the, you know, the capital to make that happen. So they go back and, and, and we have a scene where in the aquarium where, um, we have all the cool fish in the aquarium that, that Kay's watching. And, um, and, and it's, it's, in, I like that, you know, that they're worried, they're almost kind of like, how are we going to get Mark on board on this? And Mark is instantly like, let's do this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's really excited about it and and it does seem like he's excited about it uh you know the the things that drive david and the things that drive mark are different they they sort of have the same end goal but um david is more concerned about the pure as we were saying like just the 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 science of things the the way it helps humans, the way it's going to help us in the future, uh, the, you know, gaining the knowledge about these things we don't understand. Mark thinks that's cool and all, <laughs> right? But, but Mark's a realist and Mark realizes that in, if they discover something really, really important, that's going to open up even more funding that will allow them to do more good things. Um, so he's got a much more practical avenue towards it. But it also seems like Mark kind of wants to get wants to be respected and, and famous for it. Right. Like, yeah. He, he kind of wants he's driven by the ego too. Yeah. So he, he's, he's a smart enough scientist that he recognizes like the impact of what this is and how yeah. unique this is and how, Oh my God, you know, this is fantastic. No one's, no one's discovered or seen anything like this before. And he's also enough of a businessman to equally recognize the value, the money that it will bring into the Institute. And yeah. to your point, the fame, fame it would bring into the institute right. and also himself to say i've discovered this you know and and that's yes, yes. that's my, that's my, my thing makes um, him go real quick to let's go do it yeah because the fame will help bring money too like that's it, it's all one thing you know he he gets the pr side of of things which is you know which is valid um i just think it's interesting that mark dr mark williams um oversees this group of people but he sort of is after his own glory in, in a way. And, and you feel like spoilers had he lived um, and had they brought back the creature, um, he would have taken, he would have sort of assumed a lot of the, the credit for, for a lot of things, which is sort of similar to something that happened in the making of this film, as far as the creature design. So yes. we're going to kind of get into that, but there's like, there's kind of a weird, like, you know, life imitates art parallel happening there. Um, without getting too too caught up in the whole thing. Um, but da- while we're here talking about this, Dave- David says that he, he thinks this, you know, like the Devonian man type, you know, amphibious person might be a missing link to how marine life, life adapted to living on land. And he sees this application in the idea that humans are getting ready to travel to other planets, which everyone thought in the 50s as, as rockets and every space. At the dawning of the space era of space exploration, I think it was assumed that we'd be on other planets pretty soon, uh, which obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, seven years later has not quite happened. Um, but but the scientific advancements in space exploration were happening so quickly that I think that seemed very close to 
being able to be reached at at the time in 1954. So he has sort of an interesting at, uh, outlook that where he he thinks like, look, if if this creature figure out how to live in an environment that was new to it, going from water to land, maybe we can learn how to help human beings adapt to the different climates on different planets. Is is his? Um, it's as close to a. Uh, or like a real world application as David gets, you know, it's not just pure science. He's like, no, there's, there's an application for this, but also just the pure science of it is good too. Um, yeah. Um, so, so it's all agreed. We're going to go. And uh, along with them is going to be Dr. Edwin Thompson, who's played by Whit Bissell, who looks a lot like, I can't remember the name of the guy, but remember the nineties, you used to always see like the image of the, the guy standing there smoking the pipe. Oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He does, I can't he remember what like that was that. a reference to or something like that. You used to see stickers of it everywhere in the early days yeah. when like <laughs> Shepherd Fairy was sort of getting his start and everything with Andre the Giant and stuff. So anyway, he's always standing there holding his pipe like that. And he looks exactly like that one dude. Um, uh, and he's a, he, he's an interesting character to kind of go through his own little evolution in the film too. So uh, we cut to back in the Amazon, back in the camp. Uh, where Dr. Maia's uh, men are staying, and we see another shot of this this claw coming onto the 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 um the the land, and then we see this very creepy uh POV shot of the thing creeping up on the tent, and the guys are in the tent, and they're just you know after a day's work, they're cleaning up and and talking, and and you know um and we sort of see uh the the first revelation of the Gilman. It's sort of not we don't see him see him. It, the, Arnold does a great it's a very um it's very modern almost like 80s style uh, of thing where of like not revealing you know revealing the creature only bit by bit by bit so we see the claw we see sort of the shadow and the shapes and stuff and we don't really see we hold off on revealing its full face until later on which has the effect of being very creepy yeah because we don't exactly see what's happening but also like you know it keeps us hooked right we're like oh wait i haven't seen you know what's you know um we were talking briefly about the science fiction of it all. Um, I just think, I think one of the neat things about the creatures, you know, the, the and I'm going to alternately refer them as the creature and Gill man, you know, either, either way they, they, they tend to use the word, the phrase Gill man in the, in the film with, and in the sequels as well. Um, he's really our universal's first, as far as the big eight, right? <clears throat> he's their, he's the first inhuman monster. You know, like Dracula and the Mummy were once people. Uh, the, the Frankenstein monsters was once several people. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, you know, the Wolfman, the Invisible Man, family opera—they're all humans. That you know, something's wrong with them, right? They're invisible, or they turn into a werewolf, or you know, they're kind of de- deformed. Um, but they're all men. The creature is something totally different and new. The creature is not a human being that was turned into this. The creature is a different thing. It's it's a next yeah. evolution in in the type of characters films were, were dealing with, which is, it's really interesting. You know, he, like we were saying, like he might as well be an alien. I mean, he's, he's, he's from another world. His world just happens to be underwater, but absolutely. Like he's. And so, and one, so, so go ahead. One thing that, that as a kid, I will say that when it comes to sounds, you know, the, the, yeah, the creatures roar out <laughs> of all the monster movies it was, as a kid, for me, it was the only one that ever could kind of creep me out because um, it's, it's, it's kind yeah. of this like very, very unique but very deep and and menacing uh, kind of roar that he he gives out or, or lets out, and <clears throat> you can even hear 
hear him making noises, you know, as he's walking slowly right, to the right. tent and, and, uh, he comes in there and it's just, there's a, back in the, oh, early nineties, they came out with these little motionettes and they had one for Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, mm. the Wolfman, and they had one for the creature for the Black Lagoon. And it was like, almost like a little novelty type Halloween decoration things. They're ridiculously overpriced if you ever want to go on eBay and search those <laughs> up, but, Today, but um, they would move their arms and heads and they would make sounds. And the creature from the Black Lagoon had the same kind of roar, same sound as he did in the movie. And it, yeah. would, it would terrify any little child that ever came around the house of Halloween and heard that. <laughs> That's funny. It's it's an uncanny, inhuman noise. Yeah, for sure. I I think it's, it's, it's a lion or tiger or some sort of big cat mixed with a pig or or a boar or something. There's, there's definitely that squeal sound in it um, that that's mixed in. And I'm sure, I'm sure folks out there know exactly what, what sounds they, they, what animal sounds they use to mix in with, with the thing. But it's, it is, it's a, it's a brutal sound, right? It's, it's just not, yeah, it is. and again, we, like you're saying, it's not human at all. It, it's just not, yeah. Um, it's not like, it's not like, you know, Frankenstein monster, or even like, it's even like we said, like Cheney, Junior doing the wolf, you know, growls and things, you know. Um, absolutely. Um, the, the, obviously the bad things happen in the, in the camp. And the next time we see, in the next scene, we see the Rita, which is a kind of rundown ship, um, cruising up one of the tributaries of the, of the Amazon. Um, with with all of our our heroes on it, David and Kay and and whoever, um, and also again as I said, one of my favorite additions to this cast is Nestor Pavia as as Captain Lucas. Um, I feel like any actor who since 1954 who plays the grimy skipper of a rundown boat <laughs> just owes Nestor Pavia a, a little token of gratitude because he really he just cemented this role. He's so. He's, he, you can feel like he smells. He feels like he's not very clean. He's very skeegy and stuff. He's funny, you know. He, he's kind of ignorant, but he's also wise in the way in in you know because he doesn't have the schooling and education and benefits and everything of all these American scientists. Obviously, uh, being a guy who drives a boat up and down the river, but he knows the river. And he knows the boats and he knows water and stuff. So, so he's got his own area of expertise that they don't, that they don't, you know. Right. Um, and and, and he's see. hired by them, but but he's not afraid to stand up to him either, which I, I love that. There's a great scene coming up with him and Mark that's great. Yeah, um, I was about to say, we'll, we'll find out a little later in the movie. He's also, you know, irreverent and, you know, his, he's, yeah. he, is, he is the captain of the ship. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you can hire his boat, but if you cross him, he'll, he'll just cut you. Like he's not yeah. afraid to. He's, he's got he's got kind of old world uh, beliefs and of of how to uh, deal with uh, re- how to resolve conflicts. Let's say, and, <laughs> and I, I I do want to because I wanted to point this out too, um, because the, you know lately we, we've we've talked about a lot of a lot of movies that um, you know will will have one or two you know quote unquote stars or stars and and mm. um, then a lot of kind of smaller character actors little you know, ensemble yeah. stuff like that like weird woman and, and stuff like that this one 
I, I think this one stands at the top, uh, in my opinion, in terms of an actual ensemble cast of everybody, yeah. everybody on the boat, um, it, and just how well each actor, what their chemistry is together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are so, they are all so completely and totally believable, um, you know, in their roles. And you, it's so natural and easy to, to really put yourself and lose yourself in the drama of what they're going through from the relationship stuff or the stuff between Mark and David. And, you know, when, when people will eventually start getting hurt and, and, and stuff like that, it, it's, it's one of the, I think the powers of this movie that a lot of the other universals, as good as they are, don't quite have. And even the sequels of the two sequels to this movie yeah. never quite got there either. But in, right. in, in, in those terms anyways, and because it just, I, I will never be able to look at a movie with Richard Denning in it or, uh, you know, watching a Hawaii five O episode and not see Mark from the creature from the black. Lagoon. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I cannot yeah. watch it came from outer space. See Richard Carlson and not think of David from creature from David, the black yeah. Lagoon. you know? Yeah. No, they're, they, they, everyone just dissolves into their characters in, in, in the most great way. And there's not a, there's not a boring character in this movie. There's nobody who's just there saying lines, taking up some space, right? You know, no, like, they've, they've like all it's, got it's something perfect ensemble, to them. And it's really, you know, and they talk about this in the documentary, like, like a movie like, like Alien owes so much to this movie. Uh, yeah. Predator owes so much to this movie. All these movies about a group of people that goes someplace foreign to them and encounter something that they're not prepared for. Um but it's also that idea of like casting all these great actors into this mix and then having all those interactions be interesting. Yeah, you know, obviously like Kay and, and David are together. There's a bit of a love triangle going on with Mark and Kay where, you know, Mark fancies her and, and she knows it and she's sort of allowed it, allowed him to fancy her without, you know, ever moving forward with him. But in, in it's a way to, you know, kind of get what she needs out of it. Um, uh, you know, Dr. Dr. Um, Dr. Edwin Thompson, who sort of like exists in the background for a while, you know, at some point suddenly comes to the forefront and has this great conversation with Kay, oh, yeah. you know, later <laughs> in the film and reveals this whole side to him that you were like, where'd that come from? That's fascinating, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's great. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a study of different personalities trapped together in a very small space under very stressful conditions and what yeah. happens there. So, so it's, it, a, there's a social thing going on too you're absolutely right it's it, it it kills man it does and then the way the relationships change between everybody as yeah. their situation becomes more and more dire worse you and know, worse and worse yeah you know right. look if you look at how how they all acted and how they all interacted uh when they first got there compared to as they're they're literally running for their lives you know yes, yes. out of yeah, there sure. it 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 changes. And like you said, you know, movies like, you know, Alien or, you know, even Jurassic Park, we, uh, uh, as great as those movies are in terms of, you know, seeing this monster or the dinosaurs or whatever, you are also following the human element and, and the relationships of, of how these people change and can work together or, or separate apart. And, yeah. and that's a huge part of the journey too. And that's exactly what, you know, you see here with, with this group of people. And I think that's what makes for, to put a button on this one topic, like I think it's what makes 
for a film that has longevity is, is these interesting characters that you care about and that you want to see survive and escape and, and, you know, and, and thrive and, and whatever. Um, I think the worst type of movie like this is one where you just don't like anybody and you don't care and you're kind of just waiting to see them get killed one by one by yeah. one. Um, uh, it's boring and it's just, it, it's sort of just like cathartic a little bit or something. It doesn't, it just doesn't have that, that drama like this one does. Absolutely. Um, so they're going up, up the Amazon. They're not, they're not even like to where they're supposed to be yet. And, and Mark is already getting impatient and worried about the bottom line. He's and talking about how much this is costing him and stuff. So his, you kind of see like, I mean, maybe Mark isn't really suited for field work, right? Maybe he should be just maybe back there at at the Institute raising more money and, and, and going out to parties and getting credit for things and stuff like that. Cause yeah. he, he, he seems to, he seems to treat the work of it with a lot of disdain. Like he kind of feels like he shouldn't have to be doing, you know, out there sweating and stuff. Um, he seems like he thinks he's a little above it, and 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 we just start seeing a little bit of the tension between he and he and David, his, and, and of course David being his subordinate, but um, you know, uh, and 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 we see the, what I love is like it's the hint of danger in Mark already. We just get a, a right a, like a glimpse of it, like ooh, this guy's impatient and a yeah, little aggressive. You know, there's little, something yeah. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. He again, like I said, like I, he's just maybe not suited for this. Um, uh, there's great second unit footage that I believe they shot in Florida, in the swamps, wherever, um, of alligators and birds and everything. And, and, you know, as they, as they go by, um, the, the closeups of the characters, it's definitely a process shot where I think they filmed it in, in Florida, the, the background plate, and they shot them in front of, it. I think it's like a rear projection screen, but it works great because it's all out of focus behind them. It's, it's, it's perfect. Um, David's talking to Kay about how, you know, she's talking about how amazing this is. And she's like, I thought the Mississippi was big. And he's like, it's a, it's a brook compared to the Amazon. And he talks about how little, again, we said before, like how little this part of the world's changed. It's, it's ancient, you know, things are bigger than they have any reason to be. They're, they're barely, they barely evolved in millennia. So what's great is he's setting up, um, the believability of what we're going to encounter. Like, like he's explaining He's explaining why the creature still exists before we've ever really encountered yeah. the, the creature for real. So by the time we get to him, he's like, we're like, oh, well, yeah, of course, it's like Dr. David said. And, and he's a doctor, so we believe him. So, okay. And I'm, I think I'm going to wind up making probably three or four more Jurassic Park references. Yeah, it's appropriate. Yeah, I'm realizing how close these movies are together. But you have to remember, uh, back in 1954, the majority of Americans had not been – to the Amazon or knew that much about the Amazon. Probably so, not, no. um, you know, it's, it, you know, no one could get on Google and, and go look at aerial views and, and get a list <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> wildlife and, and things like that, that we can do today. Or, or, or so, even see like a national geographic special or, or anything on like, like PBS yeah. didn't exist. Like that's what, when I grew up, PBS was the thing you watch nature specials on, right? It was, a, you know, it had all the, the stuff on. So, so yeah, like you're, Anyway, go going on with what you were saying. Yeah, so I mean, in, in a way, I mean, you you hit the nail right in the head. So this is the this is the 1954 version of that scene in Jurassic Park where they say, "Hey, we found DNA from a mosquito trapped in ember for millions and millions of years ago and extracted it, and that's how we made dinosaurs." You know, basically, yeah. oh, it's believable now. And so, kind of right. the, the same thing here to say, you know, oh, this this is unexplored. You know, everything's so much huge. N- nothing has evolved. Yeah. It's you know, and so when you do 
see the, I mean, even though we kind of already have seen the creature, but then now that we understand yeah. it, it's believable. Yeah, he's set up. Um, James Cameron always talks about uh, exposition on the run, where if if you have someone, if if everything stops and you have a character explain everything that's happening to another character, it gets boring. If that character is like, say, in the Terminator, if Kyle Reese is telling Sarah Connor all about the future in the Terminators while they're driving eighty miles per hour down the you know down downtown L.A., it becomes something different, and it's more there's something happening while. We're getting all this, you know, kind of necessary exposition. Um, and here's what's happening here. Not quite at 80 miles per hour, but they are moving. So there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, you know, and there's the alligators and the birds and stuff. So we, we get a nice visual break while David is sort of, again, like while, while we're setting up what we're about to get into. Um, uh, they get to the camp um, and they find the dead men. Um, and we have the sort of the first case of, as I said before, you know, David respects Kay quite a bit, but she is a woman it is the 1950s, and he, if he has a fault, he's 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 kind of overprotective of her a little bit. Yeah. Um, and and we even have a line there about like, at some point they're going to move forward and go into this black lagoon, and they're talking about going into unexplored territory with a woman. Um, this idea that they have a more fragile creature with them, uh, you know, pervades the movie. Um, uh, that that it's the men feel like. It's their job not only to to get the job done, but also to protect this, you know, this weak creature that they, they have with them. And I think Kay uh, proves them wrong over and over again, kind of, she uh, does. with maybe and one she, or two exceptions. But she kind of, you know, I think even, you know, a little later scene, she'll, she, in her own way, I, I guess in a way that was allowed enough back then was to kind of push them in their place. You know, she says, I, I can take yeah. care of myself. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, ironically, one thing I kind of find funny and we'll get into this, but, but this comes up a little later, but like Mark has a little bit more faith in Kay sometimes than David does even like David's like worried about her. And Mark's like, I think Kay can take care of herself. Like maybe that's just because Mark doesn't care that much about anybody else. <laughs> so that's Could his, be, yeah. that's his, yeah. You know, um, cause, cause what we get into, Mark gets to a point where he's almost kind of willing to sacrifice some people if it means getting their prize, you know, and David more becomes the, the, the one who's saying, no, I, I don't, no matter what this discovery is, it's not worth, you know, losing any more people over. So, you know, um, anyway, so they, yeah, they get to the, the camp, uh, all, all of, uh, Dr. Maya's men are, are dead. Um, they, they, set about digging for a few days into, you know, where, where he'd excavated that fossilized hand from, um, just to see if there's anything else in those rocks and stuff. Uh, Mark complains quite a bit at having to do a bunch of physical labor. Again, Mark, I think thinks he's Mark, Mark just wants to administrate other people working. Um, you know, but, uh, but the thing is at the end of a couple of days, they found nothing. They found no other, uh, pieces of remains or anything from, from this, uh, like, like, similar to this fossil from this era. Um, David has the idea that possibly during a flood or something, parts of this, you know, the other parts of this fossil and other pieces from that era might have washed further down the river. He asks, what's down the river? And uh, uh, Captain Lucas says, well, there's, there's this lagoon down, down the river. Um, And, and that's the first time we mentioned the, the, Telltale, you know, Black Lagoon of the title yeah. of the film. Um, Livio, you you were you were telling me you have a list of 
uh, possible titles that could have been that this film could have had before they settled on the creature from the Black Lagoon. I think this is a good point to <laughs> to bring some of those out and and hear some of those. I think I know some of them. I'll bet you there's ones I haven't heard. Yeah. So I mean, there's a few here. So um, I have to do the uh, a, sh- a shameless plug for where I'm lifting all this information from. But there's a a wonderful book by Tom Weaver and Steve Cronenberg called The Creature Chronicles. And it's a extremely in-depth look at all three films. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in the uh, chapter about the first film and talking about production and some of the uh, – what Universal Studios was thinking would be acceptable for names, um, you know, they, they wanted to avoid using – I think they wanted to avoid using terms like monster – um, and, and stuff like that. So here's a here's a list of offered up titles. It was Amazon, The Amazon Man, The Being from the Dawn of Time, The Black Pool, The Chain of Life, Cruise of the Pongo, Curse of the Amazon, Expedition Terror, The Fossil That Lived, Grotto of Fright. It's a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> Grotto of Fright so good. The the Hand from the Past, Jungle Nights, Lost Age, The Lost World, The Man Fish of Horror Lagoon. That's another favorite of mine. The Morajo Man, Mystery Man from the Amazon, Pongo, Since the Dawn of Time, The Stone Claw, Thunder Over the Amazon, Thundering Waters, and Water Demon. Nice. You know, you know, the title, it's almost like evolution itself, right? They were kind of getting <laughs> yes. closer to it and then kind of going off on a weird tangent and that didn't work out and stuff that that's really interesting i don't know where the the creature from black loon ended up coming from then it's funny it's like they you never hear like i I didn't hear creature in there at all and creature is the real um i mean it's the creature right i mean that's that's what sets this and the black lagoon is part of it but like it's the creature um i wonder i wonder where that evolved from um, I knew Black Lagoon was was you know tentatively a title at some point, but um, yeah, I think I think that was the I think it was a working title for a while, and and yeah, you know if if Universal was sticking to his guns and saying we don't want monster, or we don't want you know you know beast or or whatever, and, you yeah, know, someone just says oh, how about creature? <laughs> there you go, yeah, it it and you, you didn't say no creatures, um, you know, and it's one of those things where you wonder had this film come out with one of those other titles, would it be as famous as it was? What, wh- how much of it is the title and how much of it is the film? How much of it is the marketing? How much of it is, you know, if, if the creature come out with its original, more smooth looking eel like design that, that, um, you know, was, was the first iteration. We'll be getting into the makeup in a little bit. Um, would it have hit, you know, it's, it's all those things. It's the thing of, uh, if, uh, uh, what's his name? Who's going to play Don Corleone in, uh, Originally in uh, in 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 Godfather, um, oh, what's his name? Who did Dick Tracy? Oh, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty was going to play uh, uh, Don Corleone originally, and then somehow something didn't happen, and and Marlon Brando, you know, came, came in to do it. Um, and you wonder, like, well, that's interesting, but like, would Godfather have been Godfather if if that had happened? Would it have hit without Brando's, you know? unique performance in that role. Like how much of it is that, how much of it is something else. So who knows? Um, I, for one, am quite glad they landed on creature from the black lagoon. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm amazed at the title of the second film. I'm amazed that it wasn't revenge of the creature from the black lagoon. It was just revenge of the creature. And, and it goes to show how 
much of an impact this film made that they could come out with a film called Revenge of the Creature the next year and everyone's like, oh, it's the creature from the Black Lagoon, you know. Yeah. Of course. It's a very, it's a little bit of an abstract title. Um, yeah, some of those titles have a lot of words in them. Wow. Um, <laughs> those potentials. Um, that's amazing. Um, uh, so the team is uh, getting set to go explore this lagoon up the river. Um, as as uh, Captain Lucas says, they say it's a paradise, but nobody's ever come back from it. Um, is you know, and again, here's here's uh, Captain Lucas coming at at us with the uh, the thing. Um, now, while Kay has been standing by the the edge of the water while they've been in the tent looking at the dead people and stuff, um, we have had a shot of, of uh, the the Gilman's claw kind of reaching up for her ankle. He's kind of an ankle guy. He's really is into <laughs> girls. He seems to always be clawing at their ankles. It's interesting. He is, and and uh, he does I'm not. It. I'm not. I'm not criticizing him. You know, she's got pretty ankles. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, everyone has their thing, right? So yeah, um, right. Everyone's got their thing. No uh, judgment here. He he does it a few more times in the movie, but I, I think mm-hmm. this is a good a good point too because you hear it about I don't know four times in mm-hmm. in three seconds is the uh, three note uh, creature yeah. motif or theme that da 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 yeah so. There's three composers that that worked on this film. It was Herman Stein, Henry Mancini, and Hans Salter. Um, there is there is some other music from other composers that was that was stock music that was re-recorded, um, but by for the majority, uh, mm-hmm. it was original score, and and those three worked together to do it. Um, Herman Stein actually came up with the that three note motif, and then the other two, Salter and Mancini, you know, kind of reworked it into their own cues as as the movie goes on. But um, by this time in the mid fifties, um, most composers had had really gotten away from the. It was kind of what they call Mickey Mousing in in movies, which is you know you you imagine it's cartoonish music mm. essentially. You know, imagine someone going up a ladder and music goes da 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 da, da and then go coming right, down. Right, and it, it, it goes mimics right the sort of sound of what you're seeing. Right. Yeah. So the <clears throat> I, I don't know if there's like actual hard evidence of this or not, but it's been theorized uh, several times that. Um, the assumption is that a producer somewhere, whether on the movie or somewhere at Universal, said, "Hey, we want to hear this this creature theme every time we see it." So, which is why, literally, every time you see the creature, you're hit in the face with a ba ba ba. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that, seriously, yeah. it's it's a it's a really it's an intrusive score, and and you, you do hear it, if the film has one thing people criticize, it is the the overwhelming amount of music in it and the intrusiveness of that one score 67 times or something like that within, within the, you know, 80 minute, 80 some minute film or whatever. Um, I, I would almost be interested in watching the film with that, like with all the audio, but without that score. And I just don't know if it'd be that scary. It's almost like the score. Yeah. Of course the score is there. That three note motif is there to, to let you know, Oh, here's the creature. He's coming, which obviously you, you know that because you're watching him stock towards somebody you know um but it's it's the way that those those flutter tongue trumpets like whack you constantly over and over and over again it kind of how am i trying to say it It, the music's almost punishing the viewer a little bit and somehow that gives this hostility to whenever you see the the thing so it's 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 doing what it's supposed to it's almost overdoing what it's supposed to but in overdoing it i think personally this is just my take um it's doing something extra. It, it's it's really assaulting you 
uh, with the horror of what you're about to see. So, yeah, you know, it, I, I, I think a, it's actually, yeah, it's a, it's a musical way of, of, of saying that, you know, you, whoever is in front of the creature is in very mortal danger. And, yes, and, uh, I, I think the three composers for, for being, I mean, obviously each composer is different and everyone has different styles. Um, be again, this is a pretty seamless score. Um, and unless so. you, unless you pick up on like the, the bits you hear from Ghost of Frankenstein or the Wolfman, you, you, mm-hmm. you think it's all completely original and most of it is, but there, some of it is not. Um, but the, the way they kind of divvied it up, you know, Herman Stein did a lot of the title sequences and, and things like that. Uh, yeah. Mancini did a lot of the lighter stuff, like the yeah, he music- did like when they're sailing on the boat and stuff. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, and then Salter did um a lot of the the horror stuff. So Salter mm-hmm. had had the majority sense. of the ending, but also other people had other stuff too. Uh, Mancini has my favorite part of this. The entire music score here is the music that plays when uh, the creature and and Mark have their their fatal battle under the water, and that that's mm. from Henry Mancini. Um, it's just a it's That's it's great. Yeah, so they overlap because most of the, yes. the underwater stuff I've heard is Herman Stein. Um but that's yeah. like the ex- exploration stuff. Like that's yeah. just the, it, well, Herman uh, Stein did I, I think probably the most outside of the that three note creature theme, uh right. probably the more most iconic part of the score is when Kay jumps into the water and and they have that beautiful, you know, melody yeah. that that goes along with it and that that is Herman Stein. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's, it is, I mean, it is really beautiful for every bit of that really strident type music. There's just amazingly lovely music in the film too. There's gentle moments and stuff. It's really great. Um, uh, the, the, so there's, they sort of think that possibly the camp was attacked by Jaguars. Um, and that's what killed the men. So, you know, the, 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 the party itself is not worried per se about, you know, I mean, they're, they're in, they're in a risky spot in that they're in the middle of the jungle and there's, you know, all sorts of hazards, what have you, weather, or water, whatever. Um, uh, but but there's no hint in in their minds of anything supernatural yet, anything uncanny that that they have to deal with. Um, but all the same, as they're sailing up there, Doctor Mark shows up with his with his uh, shiny spear gun, um, which is, you know, I think we we've seen the spear gun used in a lot of films and television stuff since this including like a lot there seemed to be a lot of spear gun stuff in james bond movies um for some reason which there's a link to that in this too um there is but mark's really into his 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 spear gun um which is and i'll just say that you know it's it's such a perfect weapon for him because it's all it's violent and ejaculatory and you know i mean it's it's sort of mark's personality in a nutshell is this he just wants to shoot off at things and 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 hurt them um it's it and it it, you know plays in and at any for the rest of the film at any doubt of moment there's mark with his with his spear gun ready to ready to shoot something um and it does work he 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 nails the, the creature a few times um Interestingly, what I I think, each of the creature, each of the three creature movies, uh, Creature from Black Lagoon, Revenge of the Creature, Creature Walks Among Us, they all, each of them have a love triangle in them. This one's probably the least, uh, how do I say, like evolved, you know? Um, But there's, you know, again, as I said before, you know, obviously, uh, you know, David and Kay are quite passionately, you know, into each other. Um, 
Mark is jealous of this, uh, and, and Mark has his own designs on K, and, and we talk about this later. Where D- David says, like, someone should, show, I love the line, like, someone should tell him his ambition is showing or something. Um, which is funny. Uh, but it's interesting because, you know, so often in a movie like, like, uh, well, Dracula, for example, you know, Dracula's about a love triangle too. It's about Jonathan Harker and, and, um, Mina are a couple and then here comes Dracula into the mix and Dracula wants Mina too. So now there's kind of this, you know, the, the tension between the, the, the two people that want the same thing. Um, but each of these creature movies gets complicated because there's already that kind of love triangle happening. And then the creature comes into the, the mix and the creature in each of these has a thing for the women in each of the films as well, as is usually typical for films like this. Um, so so now it's like a love square or a love quadrangle or, or whatever you want to call it, right? It it's 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 there's a creature in the mix too. So uh everything ends up revolving around the the females in, in these films. And I just think it's interesting that each each of the films has its own kind of love triangle. The the creature walks among us has the most kind of yeah, aggressive say, it, and violent it, one. Yeah, it's the it's like it, the it ugliest more with one. Each kind movie, of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like it's more obvious. Right? Yeah, it's it's more yeah. obvious in uh in Revenge of the Creature, um, yeah. but but it doesn't necessarily turn you know violent or anything. And then in the Creature Walks Among Us, there there's some <laughs> there there's the, yeah. the horror in that one is is more on the human side than <laughs> exactly than the creature side. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of gnarly. Um, uh, so they get to this lagoon and it's this amazing lagoon. Again, um, most of the wider stuff is, was all shot in Florida at this, uh, uh on this per- one person's property that Rico Browning was like the, the tour. He was the guide, right. That, that took the producers to this place and showed it to him when they got to Florida, like as a potential filming location. Um, and that's actually kind of how Rico Browning got involved in the film. And we'll get into Rico and, and, and in, in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but it, it's, it was the, at least my understanding is it was, it was very well preserved. Uh, they hadn't let any kind of development happen on this, on the, in this area. So in a way, like, you know, the film is about this lagoon that's been untouched by time. And in reality, again, life imitating art, or art imitating life. Um, they found this place to film that almost had been un, kind of untouched too. And was kind of pristine. And then this huge film production rolls into it and starts yeah. <laughs> goofing it up and, you know, uh, you know, I don't even want to get into like, like what kind of paint did they use on the Gilman's costume that now he's swimming around in that water? What's coming off of it? How's it hurting? Whatever. It, and it doesn't matter. It's, 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 it was, it was the era. Um, it, it's, whatever. um, but it is glorious and it's really, and again, it's this thing, like I was saying how like, you know, the stuff they shot in the, on the back lot at universal, um, the way it mixes in with, with all the stuff and the thing to the point where, where, when, when they're swimming, right. It's, it's almost never, it's never the actors underwater, right. It was all doubles in Florida. Right. Am I, am I right about that, Olivia? Yeah. Yes. Um, luckily they have like full face masks on and stuff like that, but you never, if it's that thing where if you're really looking, you're like, well, okay, maybe that's not Julie Adams, I guess. I don't know. But as a kid watching, definitely, I never, Question it. Of course, it didn't seem like it was yeah, easily. You know, I, I still um, don't question it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it no, is, exactly. Yeah, that's my thing. Like, I, I would have to really l- try to look for it, and even David and, and Mark too. Like, they it looks yeah. just great. <laughs> they um, they look they look so much alike, and, and I'm sure part of it is just you know that the 
they're obviously not standing up on land and stuff. They're swimming, so it's a yeah. totally different yeah, layout, if you will. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah, right, you know, exactly. Th- this definitely is not a, a Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, where it's a painfully obvious, you know, yes. stunt double that, that when doesn't it's a act- stunt person and stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't move or look or stand or anything like everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's really uh, so. So now we're here. We are in the in the Black Lagoon. Um, David and Mark are going to get in their scuba gear and uh, they're going to go underwater. And and we do go now now to to Florida and we have our first underwater scene. Again, with the actors doubled by by professional uh, uh, divers. Um, while you know they they go underwater, they take some samples and they're looking around and, and everything. And we have our first reveal of the Gill Man in, in you know his face and everything. And and I love the first reveal is he almost just like shoots up into into the lens of the camera. It's really like, yeah, you know, aggressive and oh man. Um, uh, I'll just say that that. You know, I, I think obviously I love this film, and I think all the drama on land and on the boat is really good. All the performances are great. There's great writing, great characters, great directing, great everything. I think without how amazing all the underwater footage of this film came out, I don't know if this film ends up being as as famous as it is. It, it I worry, like I wonder if it wouldn't have just become another monster flick. It's, it's. Um, again, it's uh, James C. Havens directed the underwater stuff, but James C. Havens had a, like a inner ear problem or something like that. And Charles S. Wellborn, who was the the cinematographer, sort of direct James Havens kind of directed from the surface, and and most of the actual footage was shot by Wellborn. Again, in Florida, in this incredibly clear, you know, uh, lake of of water with all the natural fish and kelp and algae and logs and everything. As far as you know, um, it's it's how beautiful this this scene. Even the guys just swimming is beautiful, but definitely later on when we get to the K scene with where she swims with the creature, um, it's and and then the fight scenes too. It's just it's how insanely good looking this footage is, and how it it does take us into another world. They might again, like I said, they might as well be in space. They might as well be exploring another world. Um, it's absolutely stunning looking cinematography. And I think it's one of the things that this film has that almost no other film at the time had um, uh, to, to, to immerse us in, in, in an alien place and stuff. It's just, it's, it's astonishing looking. Yeah. Um, It's, it's the, it's kind of like what I was talking about when, when we first started about how, this was as close as they got to recreating Frankenstein. You know, Frankenstein was so unique yeah. at the time right. for, for everything. And th- and here you have here, this is, this is the uniqueness of this. And this is, right. uh, I think, you know, you could watch uh, any type of version of, of Frankenstein from anyone from Boris Karloff to Daniel Radcliffe to, you know, Robert De Niro. It, it, the same thing with Dracula, werewolf movies. Mummy movies. I mean, even the Invisible yeah. Man. But it's only the creature that is exclusively universal and exclusively to these these three films, and that's part of its its own uniqueness. It's, it's yeah. as much as much as people are are fans of the Universal monsters. I think this one's the only one where people can be huge fans specifically of. Just creature from the Black Lagoon, and, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. necessarily all you know all the others, <laughs> other iterations. Yeah, yeah, because he's not he's not based on 
a piece of classic literature that goes into the public domain at some point and everyone just jumps right. on and, and can do whatever they want. Yeah, exactly. Like Hunchback in Notre Dame or, or what have you. Yeah. Um, Disney or whatever like that. I mean, obviously, I guess the closest thing we've had of, of late would be The Shape of Water, the Guillermo del Toro film, which yes. you know, admittedly, he, you know, he was like, no, it's obviously inspired by the creature yeah. <laughs> from the Black Lagoon. Uh, but, but again, amazing makeup and amazing performance um, by Doug Jones. Um, uh, so, so this is a fun bit because they don't, you know, the creature's sort of checking them out, but he doesn't, he's not aggressive. He's not, um, uh, he, you know, interacting there. There's something new that he's not experienced and he's, he's interested in them. He's, he's cautious kind of, um, but he's kind of curious too. Uh, and he's sort of weighing, you know, what's going on. He's just lurking there in the bottom, staring up at them. Um, he just, this is something outside the creature's experience, and he's kind of interested. Um, the creature's obviously what we would call an apex predator, I think, in, in this environment. Like, the, yeah. the creature has no natural enemies because he's, <clears throat> you know, huge and powerful and, and lethal and everything. Um so, you know, he catches fish and he eats fish and he drinks what he wants and he does what, you know, he does what he, he lives in his cave and he does what he likes. Um, uh, but then now these other creatures have shown up in his, in his lagoon and he's taking stock and he's trying to figure out like, what is this? Is it a threat? Is it something interesting? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it just goes to show that like, is the creature dangerous? Yeah, it's definitely dangerous. Well, I mean, it has seen the it, it. It obviously has gone down the river a little bit and attacked those guys in the in the thing. So, so I shouldn't say that he's totally not. He, it's not like he's a benign animal. He's he's like a lion, right? I mean, he's he defends his territory, and if people trespass, whatever, like that. But I I think he just hasn't seen them in the water swimming the way he does yet, and so now he's kind of like, wait, hang on, they do this too. Because he doesn't understand scuba gear, you know, he, what these guys are wearing that allows them to do this. As far as he knows, they they can just do it just the way he does. Um, yeah. That changes when Kay goes in the water. So so the guys get up on land, or up on the boat, rather, and and Mark, you know, tells David, like, come on downstairs. You know, we're going to look at these rocks. and Because they're trying to figure out if the rocks at the bottom of the lagoon are from the same period as the rocks where they mm-hmm. found the hand. And now we'll what let them I? know that... You know, they, they, there's potential finding fossils here, too. One of my favorite lines, you know, he goes, come on, David, you can play house later. <laughs> I know. He's such he's just such a needless dick. Like, there's, yeah. no, there's, there's no need for him to be that much of it. Yeah. But he, again, Mark's impatient. He's, he's you know, he, in fairness, you get the idea that his reputation is on the line here. He's probably asked for money, gone donations solicited funding borrowed money who the heck knows has he mortgaged his car i have no idea you know um uh so there's a there's a timeline there's a ticking clock for mark at least where mark is very aware that they need to produce some results um because every every extra day there is costing them money they're renting the boat they're feeding everybody they're you know obviously um maybe maybe david and and k are getting paid a little more than they do with their Institute because they're you know in the field I don't know um, so so Mark's in a hurry uh, and and makes David go downstairs. Um, Kate has no immediate job so she decides the thing to do is to strip down to her her 
bathing suit and jump in the water and go for a swim herself because because david's told her like though it's amazing the water is incredible and stuff so she decides to do this which which might be like the one admittedly slightly silly thing Kay does in the movie just in the fact that like there's nobody else on board it, there's no she's she's not doing the buddy system right i mean it it's a little <laughs> like okay may, maybe you should have waited or something like that but she you know she she takes the impulse and and, and jumps in um she's she's a very headstrong character and she's you know she's yeah. obviously has enough confidence that she can take care of herself and she's, she's has seen no immediate danger and this yeah, is all yeah, yeah, all course. new to her but one she's thing definitely I, a power, an expert swimmer too she's you know oh swimmer, yeah as we see yeah and and one thing i did want to point out that that really makes this believable it's i've noticed this since i was a kid is how murky the water looks underwater. You know, it's not like pristine. You, you don't get the impression they're in someone's swimming pool. Swimming you know, in their, pool, that's in their backyard. Yeah. You, you see seaweed yeah. and bits of all this stuff that's just floating around. Yeah, yeah. it's it's so. I mean, it was really life-like. it's really cl- clear water for being a a lake, a black lagoon. But it's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that too. But but it's not. Um, you, like you're saying, you're right. It doesn't have that almost chlorinated kind of feel, like like in in the sequel when they get to Marineland and they're you know f- doing the whole thing where they're shocking the creature with a cattle prod and all that crap. Um, where you know that like so many so many scenes become they look like they're filmed in a in a swimming pool. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this doesn't. For the most part, I I do think they went back and filmed some stuff in some kind of tank or something like that. I think there was some some reshoots or inserts or or what have you. But I would I would refer to someone like Tom Weaver for for that. Um, uh, we have this swimming scene, the 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 the, the two character ballet where Kay's swimming along the top and the creature swimming below her. Um, again, the the creature is played by two char- two actors. Um, uh, one on land, one in, in the water. So Ben Chapman played him on land, and Ben Chapman was cast because he was like six foot five or something like that. He was gigantic. Hey, yeah, he was and, huge. Yeah, and they wanted the creature to be this this humongous uh, uh, character. Uh, he had to. Uh, he talks about how how he had to, he had to maintain almost exactly the same weight throughout because if he got heavy, the suit would obviously the suit fits so tight that the suit wouldn't fit right if you got heavier but if you got too skinny it would it would wrinkle be, because he wouldn't be filling it up so he talks about that um <clears throat> uh ben chapman i mean he goes on and does a few more things and stuff but this is really like the thing ben chapman did and he's you know whatever um underwater again we talked about rico browning for a second rico browning uh, was was a college student who kind of showed the producers the lagoon and then they wanted to the, the lagoon location and they wanted to get in there and take some some stuff. So he he jumped in and did some stuff because he was a, he was a, a swimmer. He, I think he was like a skin diver kind of. Um, uh, so Rico Browning plays the the Gill Man underwater. So again, like you have to imagine, like he's underwater, but he's also he's covered in this rubber suit. He has very narrow vision. There, the things kind of over his mouth and stuff, and he would breathe through an air hose that would just be run down into the water with him. But he's the way he swims, the way he swims upside down, facing up underwater, the way he does fight scenes with with other characters, like tons of there's tons of fighting that happens underwater with with Rico Browning in the in the in the Gilman costume with with one of the other the the stunt actors. Um, I don't even know how I'm, I'm not the greatest swimmer in the world. I can swim, but you know, I don't know. Um, the comfort that Rico Browning had in the water 
that comes through in the grace of the way the gill man swims and, and navigates and, and does everything underwater is incredible. And again, it's, it's another thing where like, you just believe it. It doesn't look like a guy in a suit. It just looks like this animal, this, this creature in its natural habitat. It's, it's incredible looking. So I, you know, I, I went as a kid, I never took swimming lessons and, but I was, <laughs> was around, you know, you guys are hearing all the dark pools. stories about Jim and Livia's swimming. Yeah, lessons, guys. <laughs> exactly. <Here> it comes. <laughs> and, um, I, I learned to swim from two people. One was William Shatner in Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. The, the little, little frog stroke he does when he after, you know, <laughs> that's you know. the other right. one was Creature from the Black Lagoon. And to this day, oh, yeah. if I'm if I'm underwater and I need to go like a, a distance, I'm, I'm mm. not doing the tipple where you take both hands and out and you kind of the breaststroke thing. Yeah, I, I don't do that. I do the whole one hand out, you know, claw back one hand uh-huh. <laughs> and do that. I still do that. Just like force it, a habit. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. It's it's. It's become our way of imagining how an aquatic bipedal creature swims uh, to the point where I know in Hellboy, again, Guillermo del Toro, um, there's the ape sapien character who's who's kind of like a, a now that I think about it, kind of, he's kind of like a gill man, basically. Um, and and when they created the digital model of him swimming, uh, the Doug Jones character, they would have they had him do purposely the whole reaching out one arm and scooping it, the other arm scooping it, just like the 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 go man because it it doesn't look like the way a human being swims it looks like no not at all a different kind of thing but it makes sense because he's got these huge hands with the big the webbed fingers that that would be a good way for him to propel it just makes perfect perfect sense but again it's just and i think we're going to start talking about the the costume here in a second but it's it's a combination of of this amazing costume and design and and ben chapman and wellborn's cinematography I always say, like, making something look just simple is sometimes one of the hardest things to do in a film. And it's there's so many little things ha- that have to happen right for this to look just totally natural. And they did. And it looks totally natural. And it's just, you believe it. You believe it right from the beginning. You're like, no, it's a it's a dude who lives underwater. There you go. It's, it's fine. Um, uh, I think anybody who's... We're on episode number 50 something here on the podcast. And I, I feel like if you've listened to a lot of these episodes, you're probably someone who follows the universal story uh, at large. And, and I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to anybody that, that Bud Westmore, who's the credited makeup and, and creature artist on the, on the film, wasn't the one who designed the creature from the black Lagoon's look. It was actually a, a, a woman named Millicent Patrick. Um, yeah. I think over the last 15 years or so, um, her contribution to the film has finally really been, it was known beforehand. I remember even when I was young, like reading a little bit about Millicent Patrick, but I think it's more come to the fore through a variety of, of reasons um, <clears throat> that this woman who is this young, very attractive, very talented uh, artist working under Bud Westmore was the one who, who, really we have to thank for the design this incredible architectural design of the creature um if if i could make a recommendation if anyone has not read uh Mal- mallory omera's lady from the black lagoon it came out about three years ago it's a really great book about uh the film and and uh, uh millicent's uh, uh contributions to it 
you know, if you go see the Lord of the Rings, or if you not go see it, if you watched it on, on video now, <laughs> um, uh, I, the, the analog kind of now that I would make would be like when, when it comes up at the end titles and it says, you know, creatures and miniatures and armor and weapons designed by Richard Taylor. Now, Richard Taylor is the head of Weta Workshop in New Zealand. And, you know, he oversees well, I mean, in his case, probably hundreds and hundreds of, of, of effects artists and technicians. Um, and it, it, but when you have what we call single title card credit in the business, where it's like, and there's a whole negotiation thing about it, like who gets just their one name on the entire screen at one time, and then you go to the next card, and then who gets their name in the whole rolling in the in in the in the crawl of the credits. The difference now is that. The reason the credits for Lord of the Rings go on for 15 minutes is because we do now have, you know, we list the names of all the people who contributed to the film in their own smaller way later on down towards the end of, of, of the credit crawl. Um, so all those people do get credits. In the old days, that didn't happen. And if you're the head of a department, you tended to get a credit. And a lot of the, the you know, similarly... And this is not to justify anything about Bud Westmore or anything like that. I'm just trying to put it in a little bit of a context as someone who does, you know, kind of work in this biz um, and who has not been credited sometimes in, for films I've worked on. Um, um, none, you know, the, none of the carpenters on any of the Universal films who, who built the sets, ever, you, you don't see their credits. You see no. the people who designed the things, but they didn't get credits. So this is just, this was standard for the era. Um, and even the so, music, uh, the you know Joseph Gershenson right. is is credited as music. He's just the head of the department. He didn't do squat with this movie, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah he, you don't you don't have all the violinists and the the trumpeters and the, the timpani players and all that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The sound designers don't care credit and stuff like that. This was just this is the way credits worked in 1954 and 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 obviously before that too. And it wasn't until uh, I believe like kind of the mid 60s and 70s where you started getting like. You know, everybody who contributes to the film now gets a credit, which is good, which is the way it should be. Um, so, I, I don't. I mean, I, I and I'm not like trying to let Bud Westmore off the hook of any kind, because because it does seem like Bud Westmore sometimes did happily take credit for the work of other people. Um, uh, and that's just what it is. I mean, the Westmores are still a family in in. Hollywood and, and still working, you know, but Bud's children and grandchildren and nieces and, and what have you. Um, so, you know, um, but I think it's a combination of, you know, Millicent Patrick was a woman. So I think it was easy for her contributions to be kind of pushed aside because of her sex. Um, having said that, you know, Jack Kevan is somebody who I feel like as someone who hosts a podcast focused on universal horror, I should know more about Jack Kevan, and I know very little about Jack Kevan. I realize who, guys, Jack Kevan. Once once Pierce, you know, is out, and Bud Westmore is taking on the thing. Uh, Jack Kevan becomes a critical part of of the makeup and costuming for the films. Jack Kevan works on, you know, um, Abner Costomi Frankenstein. He, you know, there's pictures of him putting the the, the makeup and and the the, hel- the head and everything on Glenn Strange, and Jack Kevan was critical. Working on this film, um, uh, Rico Browning credits him as as or or maybe it's it's um, uh, maybe maybe it's Ben Chapman, but but you know credits him as like being critical. So, you know, my point just being that that um, I think the, the film industry itself, 
people kind of working in the film industry and possibly like the culture's tendency to just want a name, one single name attached to the credit of something kind of conspired to make a lot of people, including Jackie Van, including definitely um, Milson Patrick's name kind of omitted from history for a while. And it's only recently that, you know, which is great now that we, we can start understanding what there's people's contributions uncredited as they were, were uh, to, to the films we, we love so much, including Ben Chabon and Rico Browning, who were not credited in any three of these three films, yeah. which is bizarre considering it's Universal. Universal made, it seemed like Universal's whole thing was having actors who played monsters. Like, they, they touted Karloff and Chaney Jr. and, and Lugosi and, and people. Um, so for them to, and, and obviously this is, again, this, but this is Universal International. This is a different company than made Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Frankenstein versus Wolfman, Ghost of Frankenstein. You know, this is, this is a new company that forms in 47, I think. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. 1947, 46, 47. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so the culture changes, obviously. Um, there's a guy named Ed Mull in charge of Universal at this time uh, that, that um, you know, who knows. So Kay's doing, you know, kind of like loopy loops in the water very gracefully. Um, there's this very, I think a lot has been talked about uh, Julie Adams' white swimsuit in this in this film. So yes. I don't know if we need to go that deep into into talking about it. We'll just say like it looks quite wonderful on her honestly like she's she's dressed every time every and, and julie adams has quite a few costume changes in this film um and every time she changes in a new outfit it, it seems more adorable than the last one i you know this is we're post vera west era of universal here um and the people dressing julie adams in this were just making her just absolutely she's very stylish for being in the middle of the amazon let's just say that <laughs> She she knows how to dress. It's, it's probably why the creature likes her so much. She's like, oh, <laughs> probably she's snazzy. Yeah, exactly. Um, she she's great, and and she does look. I mean, Julie Adams is in my top two or three of, of Universal's leading ladies and stuff. In the, especially in this, she's she's a knockout. She's and she looks very, you know. Again, we're we're nineteen fifty four now, so like Julie Adams just in this film kind of looks like a girl you might know. You know, it, she she doesn't look like. Uh, uh, you know, May Clark or something. You know, like like you know, it looks like like a very attractive woman from another era. She actually looks very with the the way they have her made up and stuff like that. She just just looks very contemporary. She does, um, and, and it's 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 a good point because you, if you watch like say Dracula with uh, you know Helen Chandler, it, yes, she seems. I mean, she's she's a beautiful woman, but she seems so far removed from. Yes, that's exactly from, yeah from what you know we're experiencing now, but. You know, you see Julie Adams, and and it's you know it's like I could potentially see her, you know, <laughs> walking yeah, down the street it, or something. T T G I Fridays or something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's her her mannerisms and her her the way she holds herself and everything. Yeah, and moves and stuff. whatnot. Yeah, it's it's not. She's not. She doesn't have a mid Atlantic accent. She doesn't have. You know, it's it's all the it's all the stuff. Um, um, and the creature is obviously as enamored of her as we are. Because he he can't help but reach up and try and like just just touch her and just try and see like you know he wants to grab her thing because because now there's this again like I said there's this extra wrinkle where where yeah he's seen the men and and as and you know it's kind of like a 
an alpha male kind of creature that he is, you know, he sees them a certain way. And then he sees a female, a female version of this species that he's now encountering and, and everything's different. he's like, Oh, well, hang on a second here. Let's, let's investigate this a little closer. So she's the thing that makes him decide to like move in a little closer and try and touch and, and see what happens. And, and, um, you know, cause it's 1954 and men just felt, they had the right to touch a woman if they, yeah. they thought she was attractive. It's we've moved on, luckily. Um, uh, 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 Captain Lucas sees her out there and he's like, "What are you doing all the way out?" She she is she honestly is like eighty feet away from the boat in the middle of the lagoon and stuff. So he raises a ruckus. All the men run up and they're like, "You know, okay, get back here." And she gets up and she's she's reprimanded for going swimming alone because you know she's just a delicate woman and she should know better. Um, <laughs> it's 1954. Yeah. Um, but the creature swims back with her the whole way, and he, and again, we, like I said, this this thing, Rico Browning could swim like upside down on his back, like just paddling and be totally. I don't know if they weighted down the suit so he was perfectly neutrally buoyant, because normally, at least my experience in water is you tend to float upwards if you have any breath in your lungs because you've. So maybe he had to like undo all the the breath or something. I have no idea. Um. Rico still Rico had some health stuff very recently, but as far as I know, he's he's still going, right? I mean, he's yeah, he he is the uh, he is the last living Universal monster. Is, is Rico Brown? Oh my he's, gosh, yeah, he would be. Yeah, that's right. He's he's, he's pretty elderly, now. I think. Yeah, but yeah, he's, yeah, he's in his nineties um, now. But he, um, yeah, and, and you know, you, you mentioned the the James Bond connection. He he has gone on to done to do some some great things post you know creature like you know the Thunderball. The uh, it's a third yeah or fourth uh, James Bond movie with Sean Connery and it's it's the one that has all this huge underwater underwater stuff yeah he, for, he like, went on to become un- the underwater stunt director basically like a second unit director yeah he did for films and he did a ton of films in addition to he created Flipper the TV show yeah <laughs> I I you know I. I feel like I know a lot about these films. And then, you know, just last night, I think I was doing some research. Like, wait a minute, Rico Browning created the show Flipper? He, he created the show Flipper because it's set in Florida and they filmed it in Florida and there's all the underwater stuff. It's perfect. It makes sense. Rico Browning took this college student who ends up playing the creature from the Black Lagoon, ends up taking that and turning it into a lifelong career that, that like, has a huge impact on popular entertainment. Like, it's so, in, like, that guy's, because Ben Chapman, again, kind of, didn't do too much after this, and and then Ben Chapman did unfortunately die. You know, more not not too recently. He died quite a few years ago. Um, Rico Browning had this huge, long, super successful career in show business, and it all starts from him playing the creature from Black Lagoon. It's incredible. Okay, so so the men are going to go back in the water again, um, uh, and they don't because because they did get the samples back, right? And they're like, no, no, the rocks here match. Um, you know the the rocks that we found in that in that piece of rock there. So there's a good chance there is more down here than than you know uh, more more of the same down here, and that justifies our, our going here. Um, oh, but what's happened is I'm, I'm sorry. What's happened is uh, as soon as Kay gets back on board, something rips through the the net that they have down in the water, and some it's something big and dangerous, and and they find a claw in it that matches the claws of, of the, the, of the fossil they found. So, so I guess the idea is, I guess I was always really fuzzy about this, but the idea is this is the moment where they're like, there's something in the lagoon. Yeah. And, and there's the initial idea that possibly 
the thing they found, there's a living version of it somewhere here. And and obviously, having seen that hand, they're like, hang on a second, because if that thing's alive, it's it would be dangerous. So here we go. And it um, is, it's a creepy, it's kind of a creepy scene because there's a lack of music for one, which which I think enhances this. But right. just seeing the entire boat rock and and the mm-hmm. you know the 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 crane or the winch that that's holding the net, yeah, you know, starts right. to snap and yeah, yeah, and yeah. you get the you just you get the sense of this this huge power, this huge force that that is the creature down there. You get a sense of how how strong this thing is, yeah. and it's it it is it's 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 it's, in, it's like the Frankenstein monster. It's inhumanly strong. It's stronger than it has any right to be for how large it is. Yeah, um, to the point where you're right. It's like rocking an entire boat. You know, um, uh, that one scene. I I got to point out where they're they're trying to crank it up, and the the mast that the winch is connected to starts breaking, and, um. David goes and he grabs an axe and he's going to chop the the rope that connects the winch to the the net, you know. Um, and then before he gets it, the thing gets away. They do that. That's Jaws. There's that whole scene in Jaws on on the orca yes. that that happens that same thing. So again, like the long shadow of things. Like it's is that a tribute to that thing or is this just so much in the zeitgeist that that you know we it's it's part of how how a story like this is told. Who knows? But. I would probably favor the the earlier, the, you know, the uh, in those theories. Um, yeah, it's it's exactly that. It's great. Um, and again, it's you know, I it's neat. The the humans are on a boat, so they're vaguely safe. But the boat itself, there's a certain amount of jeopardy of the boat. The boat's accessible to the water all around, and in the boat, there's always this risk that the boat could capsize or sink or what what have you. So, you know, the the idea of 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 all these characters that are very powerful, intelligent, you know, capable people stuck in a, in a world that is not theirs and th- that makes them vulnerable really helps. Like, th- and it's probably why, like, you know, the, the revenge of the creature, which I love, I love revenge of the creature, but possibly a little bit of the drama goes away once they get the creature back to Florida and it's just wandering around like tourist places. <laughs> And stuff, yeah, right? right? It's because then, but it's nice because then that's the turnaround. The creature's in a foreign world that it doesn't understand. Then, but it's still, it's you know, um, but this one, the Jeopardy is just ranked up. And again, this is why you know movies like Alien and Predator work so well because the people are are in a, a world that is not theirs, and they're they're therefore vulnerable. Um, Mark obviously has his harpoon or his his spear gun coming out and ready uh at the first sign of danger and his so his first instinct is like well if something's dangerous we'll kill it and if it's really something special we'll just bring it back with us and this is be the beginning of this ideological ongoing disagreement that that david and mark have that the the ethos of their whole profession where you know david believes that that they need to keep the whatever it is alive and and intact so they can study it and learn from it. Mark, again, as we've said before, is kind of thinking about, you know, well, first of all, everyone's safety, which is not inconsiderable. Um, uh, but I think it's mostly his own safety, too. I think Mark's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> if this thing comes for me, I'm just going to shoot it. So, you know, um, uh, we have this beginning of this thing. So the guys are going to, but but David has this, great line where i mean there's so many really good one-liners in the whole thing where he says you know you don't sound like a scientist you sound like some big game hunter out for a trophy and that's kind of mark's style of 
science is is to bring back and it was kind of, and which is kind of an antiquated version even in 1950 like that was kind of like how scientists did things in the early part of the century where they just went and they killed a thing and brought it back had it stuffed and like science you know <laughs> like it's in a museum now you know it's in the national museum of you know in in london or something um so i guess in a way like mark's a bit of a throwback and and david's more uh david thinks more like a modern scientist like well something we would you know think and or like like you're saying like Livia, like jurassic park like it's it's more of a you know we need to preserve these animals not kill them not capture them not make trophies of them or something like that we right to, exactly you know pr- pr- protect these yes they're dangerous yes we need to be careful but yes these things are 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 ve- are be- they go beyond value like it's not about that um so the guys go back in the water with it with camera so so, so david's weapon is a camera uh, you know poignantly enough um he's going to just try and take a take photos of this thing to prove its existence uh mark's obviously the uh, the aforementioned spear gum um uh uh this is i mean again like this underwater photography that i keep going on and on about but like this like again the 3d really works in the in the in the underwater stuff where, where things are coming right at the lens and where you know you have all these jump shots where the creature just pops right out of the water you know, or, you know, from behind something like into the lens, basically. Um, it's just, it's just wild. Um, and this is what happens. The creature just jumps out and suddenly attacks them. Uh, and we have the first of these, like I I was talking about these amazing, uh, you know, uh, fight, fight scenes underwater, which like, you know, there's, they're wrestling and, you know, later on there's one that happens, um, uh, uh, where they're trying to get the, the Dave's trying to get like the anchor or, or whatever, like the, the, the winch around the, the stuff that the creature blocks the thing with and stuff. And the, you know, Rico Browning in this Gilman suit is like swimming in and out of logs and underneath things and stuff The yeah. I'm sure they had, I'm sure they had safety divers around and I'm sure they had all this stuff like that, but I can't, I can't be in to go into like how insanely dangerous this must've been to do like this, the, the risk factor of something happening, something going wrong was, must have, it's just always there. Um, right. All it takes is like, especially like, you know, they're, they're wrestling and they're rolling around and, and we even have scenes where he, the creature like pulls out Mark's, the, the tanks from his scuba gear. Um, which, which effectively like in, in real life that Rico Browning has just, whatever that stunt actor is, he's actually just taking out his means of breathing underwater. So anyway, it's just like, I, I want to, make a note and admire like how the risks they took to, to do this and, and the technical accomplishment of, of doing it. So, so Mark, Mark does manage to shoot the creature in the back, like a punk, <laughs> um, by the way, and the, and the creature and the creature swims away. Um, uh, and, and, um, and, you know, we're going to have like another discussion back on the, on the water or back on the boat rather. Um, but, you know, Libby, like, it's funny when you, you and I have been talking about the mummy. I think I've made allusions to Creature from Black Lagoon, and now we're watching Creature from Black Lagoon. I'm going to make the allusions back to the mummy. And this goes for uh, King Kong, too, where like the, the Gill Man is perfectly good in this lagoon. He's, you know, <clears throat> he swims around, he eats fish. He's he's alone, I guess, and that's a little sad. But he's not doing anybody any harm at all. He's perfectly fine and, and until. If these people hadn't come into his lagoon, 
you know, and until probably like 2000 something when, when some, when, you know, they came to, to try and like strip mine it or log it like they do now in the, in the Amazon, no one would have ever known the Gilman existed. It's, it's the, it's that these human beings have intruded into his world that, that he's going to defend it aggressively, obviously, but you know, they, they came here, they came thousands of miles to come into his backyard and, and, um, you know, Ben Chapman talks about this in, in the one documentary too. He's like, imagine you come home and there's like all these people in your house. <laughs> like yeah, you'd have exactly. a problem with that, <laughs> you know? Um, and, 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 and you, you put yourself into the creature's mindset who, who obviously, you know, the creature, while it has some human capabilities, it, it's, it, it's a primitive animal. So it, it's, it's cognition is probably a little simpler than, than a, a person's. And it just, it sort of reacts mostly out of instinct and, and it's, it's instinct is aggressive. Um, but, but this begins just the beginning of this very subtle ecological environmental kind of subplot that, or subtext even that, that runs through the rest of the film about, about again, the, the idea of David who wants to, who thinks that like the, the creature and its environments should be protected. And, Mark who wants to exploit it. Um, uh, so they, they, br- they bring back the camera and they're trying to develop the, 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 um, the, the shot. Uh, David thinks he got a shot of, of the creature um, while they're all under there. And, and it turns out he just shot like, you know, bubbles and some seaweed. <laughs> um, yeah. The creature comes on the boat and attacks one, another one of the, uh, the guys on the boat, the, the, they're sort of like the redshirt guys in Star Trek. It's like all of, <laughs> all of, all of Maia's, oh. you know, assistants, and then all of uh, Lucas's, Captain Lucas's yeah. like uh, a crew are kind of expendable. Um, it's sort of tough, but you know, he um, he he actually doesn't just kill this guy. He actually the creature like grabs him and takes him into the water. And and the one guy's poor brother who who was all on the cruise, like you know, my brother was taken in the water by a demon. Like yeah. it's just, like that is creepy. Like it doesn't just cr- the creature doesn't just kill this guy. Like it takes him down the water, and I guess it obviously drowns him down there. And we never see the guy pop bob up again. So he probably wedges him under a log or something. Like geez, um, but you know that now there's you know they've invaded the creature space, and now he's decided. He, it's fair enough that he's going to invade their space on namely, namely the boat. And they have the, the, you know, the footprints and, and so they, they build a kind of a little cage for him and David's idea is like, okay, well we're going to capture it and then we're going to, you know, put it, put it in this cage. And Mark again is, and and if there's something that gets a little tired, it, it is, it is, how do I say this? But by the time Mark dies, you're like, Oh God, I'm <laughs> yeah. that guy. You're, you get sick of the guy. He's, he's, and, and I don't think it's a weakness of the script. It's just, it's just Mark is a monotone. Mark is just, Mark just wants one thing and that's what he cares about. And that's what he, you know, um, uh, um, David and, and actually, um, uh, Captain Lucas sort of, or, or Maia or somebody like has, has the good idea of like, so there's this stuff called. Rotenone. It's, it's Rotenone, right? Um, which I believe is made up. Um, but it's probably based on something I, I would imagine. I wouldn't be surprised that, and it's what the natives use to, um, uh, the, the Aboriginal people in this area use to, to fish with. Sometimes they put it in the water and it, it knocks the fish out kind of, it makes them dazed and stuff like that. Does it have like 
cocoa in it or you know cocoa in it or something like that is it like a drug-based thing it's it seems very possible that it's maybe a narcotic of some kind like a natural you know like a poppy like a natural narcotic um that uh the so you know david decides like okay well here's a here's a non-lethal way to do this where we're gonna put a bunch of it in the in the water and we're gonna basically dope up the creature and make him come to the surface. But what they managed to do is basically kill like every fish in the lagoon. Like, yeah. The exactly. next shot just, is like just... is like a hundred dead fish floating on I mean maybe they're not dead, maybe they're just drugged, but I don't know. They look kind of dead. I don't know. <laughs> so again, it's like uh, this environmental thing where and, and before that we had this sort of that famous scene where Kay's smoking and she throws the rest of her cigarette into the water and we pan down and the creature's looking up. So the the people are, I mean, just by nature of trying to investigate things, they're screwing up the thing, they're, the very thing they're trying to investigate. It's like, it's like you know, the, the, the greatest danger to like Machu Picchu or Stonehenge is actually just the tourists coming to look at it, at, at those places. Like, like the foot traffic alone has degraded those irreplaceable landmarks. Um, it's just the nature of people. Like, we, we just, you know... E- you know, they say like we destroy the things we 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 fear, but we also sort of destroy the things we love too. Anyway, um, uh, so there's these two goofballs in the rowboat, and <laughs> Jack, David, and David and Mark, um, because they they put all the rono out and they've managed to kill up a whole bunch of fish, but they don't see the creature. So they decide like, okay, well, what if we weigh it down more or something, and we'll go out again, and you know, we'll we'll, we'll up the up the dose i guess um uh so nothing happens they get back on the boat sun goes down it's nighttime and the creature climbs up onto onto the boat out of the water um case the first one who sees it and kind of screams and the creature dives back in everyone run comes running out um and, and the creature sort of wades into the 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 swims into the shallows and and here you know here's the their first good view of the creature on above ground or above water i should say um as it's sort of like they, you know they get a spotlight on it i love the creatures like waving clawing at them it's like get that out of my eyes it's so annoying <laughs> um dives back down and the guys are going to follow it and here we have this this the first idea that um the 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 creature has like a little grotto that it lives in and there's an a, an underwater passage to it where you have to swim like underneath all that deep down underneath all this stuff like that and come back up into it um but there's also like a land thing too but the creature likes to use the the, the water one so so david and mark in in their skivvies back out you know with their little diving knives and all that and and goggles um with no scuba gear this time that you know they figure out that's where it went um marco's to to first to uh uh to go scout it out and and says you know tells david to wait david kind of gets impatient and decides to to go down with him um and we have these i mean beautiful shots of like them crawling down down swimming way down under the thing and they come up into the grotto well david comes up doesn't see mark mark kind of we have a good jump scare where mark you know startles him and they're trying they're looking all over for the creature um meanwhile uh, Lucas and Kay and I think Maya, you know, have have rowed to the the far side of the thing, 
And while the guys were following the creature's footprints, the creature's stalking out towards the 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 you know the the terrestrial exit entrance of of the thing. And of course there's Kay waiting by the the the, the rowboat and uh, the the little Rita. Um and uh and the creature comes comes towards her. And here's you know we probably have like the first really good shot of Ben Chapman in this suit just walking on land like like kind of full body kind of walking and of course we have the the strident trumpets, you know, doing yeah. the thing. Um um the the inside of the creature's cave, I think, is one of the only real sets. It looks like it was built for this, you know, except for I guess when they're inside the institute, you know, place or something with the, with the aquarium. Maybe I don't know. Um, uh, and it's it's. I mean, it to me is. I mean that we have just enough throwback in the in the in the creature's grotto to like be reminded of son of Frankenstein and. And you know the black cat thirty four and stuff like that. It's that it's that slightly impressionistic, but but for this one actually pretty realistic, uh, just redesign of the natural world kind of to to you know match the the necessities of 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 uh, of the the drama of the film and stuff. Um, there are two different creature suits built: one for Chapman, who was like again six foot five, and one for Rico Browning, who was not six foot five. I don't know if he's. He wasn't short, but he wasn't. He didn't not quite have the altitude of of Ben Chapman, um, and it didn't matter because he's underwater. So that perspective wasn't quite as as critical. Um, but when you see Ben Chapman standing there walking, like you do realize the creature, the creature is amazingly tall. Like so, there's again that that Frankenstein-y kind of kind of uh, kind of evocation there. But the heads are slightly different between them. I think they had to do something different with the eyes for, for Rico Browning. So he could kind of see through the mask. Ben Chapman has almost these, uh, like pearlescent glittery, uh, like jewel eyeballs in, in the creature's mask, which changes in, in revenge of the creature a little bit. Um, but I think this is like, this is the best look at the creature in this, in this movie when he's above ground. And when they do this thing where I love that the creature when it's on land, it, it can breathe air, but it looks like it, it looks like the creature has to fight a little bit to breathe air. Yeah. It seems like breathing waters, it's more, right? Yeah. It's yeah more I was, was going to, yeah, I was going to mention that. Cause when you, when you see, yeah. when you see the creature kind of coming up behind, you know, where Kay is and, and he's got his arms outstretched and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but you see his gills uh, kind of like expand and his mouth open yeah. almost as if he's like attempting to breathe a little bit. And you just, you just see this like contraction of, 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 yeah. of, of it. It's, it's so, again, like, it's a like seamless thing. He has to, he has thing, to work you know? harder on yeah. land. Yeah. It's so, it's so, it's really neat. And it's just, it's a nice little detail. And they had, they had little air tubes going up to air bladders that, that made his gills flex and stuff. And I'm sure that was a much more complicated process than it needed to be. That than it would be now, you know, trying to get that all to work together and stuff. But it it's really effective. You just it's just this little motion of his gills that just you know that flutter a little bit. Um, again, one of the disposable red shirt crew guys comes yeah. to comes to to the rescue with his machete to try and save Kay and the creature. This one, the creature just strangles, which I think is just like a, um, it's such a human thing. It, instead of clawing it or biting it or whatever like that, it just strangles him. Um. And he picks up Kay and he's going to, you know, run with her. Um, there's, you've probably seen these, right? We'll probably put one of these up on the Instagram page. There's, there's a, there's a still shot of the creature on land carrying Kay. And it's, it's obviously running. 
Have you you've seen this right? Where it looks like yes. he's like kind of rounding a tree, and it looks like he's honestly like sprinting with Kane's arms. And I don't know if that was a separate like a shoot they did, like a, a a setup thing. I don't know if that was something they tried to film and didn't work or anything. Or I don't know if it's even a shot that just it just kind of looks like he's running, but maybe he's starting to fall over. I have no idea. About I, I, well, I think there's there's the one where um, I think is I want to say his name is Clay, the the guy that gets killed right here. Uh, but mm. I might have that wrong, but I, I think where he's he's the one sprinting at the creature with like this, you know, the the club or whatever he has in his oh, hand. Oh yeah, machete. I think and, yeah. And the creature's like they're ready to <laughs> ready yeah. to take him down. Yeah. So maybe it seems like maybe there was more planned in this little scene, which which does sort of happen. It it happens pretty quick. It because the creature picks up K, and then it's like the the Rodan finally finally <laughs> kicks in, and he just he kind of gets sleepy. And and goes down. So there's not really, you know, a fight. Except, except Dr. Mark, as the creature's lying there unconscious, Dr. Mark decides to start clubbing it with the, with the yeah, butt with of a the rifle. Gun, yeah. yeah, just like, you know, and David's like, well, why don't we put a net on it and actually just, you know, whatever. So 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 Kay's uninjured, luckily, because he didn't have time to whatever. Um and then and then they 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 gunning up the creature and they they put him in this like it's a slight, it's a tank on the boat that has water in it. So the creature can kind of be mostly submerged, but there's just like a few inches between the surface of the water and the, the, the cage part, the bamboo thing they, they use for the cage top of the thing where the creature can just get its, its head just above water. And again, we have that thing where this, it's eerie kind of breathing that it does. And, and it's, you get the feeling that so, 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 you know, some stuff's going to happen on the boat. And then you get this feeling that the creature is like listening and learning a little bit about these, these strange people that have taken it captive. It's really, I think one of the creepier things about the creature is like, again, you know, they assume it's, it's just an animal for the most part. Um, we sometimes sort of think of it as kind of a, of a strange looking human, but I think that to me, like the creepy thing of the creature is like, you can't gauge how intelligent it is. Is it like it's because it, it, it strategizes? It, it sort of like you know second guesses the 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 scientists and 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 tricks them. It's clever in a, in a way of like you know maybe a cat or a monkey or something is like it. It's not like it can problem solve in advance or anything like that. But it it's 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 there's an intelligence to it that because we can't quantify exactly where it is on the chart of how smart it is um it gets really creepy it's really interesting like we don't it's its features are not human enough that we can read what it's thinking totally so that mystery to me is one of the things that makes it really nice and creepy it's cool yeah yeah definitely you know and i also i guess just one last bit like on the creature like you know i i i grew up I think I th- this I, this film I did see on TV. It was it showed like on like a Saturday night one night I remember, and they actually um, it was like on a local TV network. See, there used to be these things called TV networks, guys. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, and somehow locally you could go somewhere to like a grocery store or something like that and pick up 3D glasses, the red the red blue three um, D glasses, and. Um, I remember that. <laughs> you know, for this. And then and then they showed it. And it was like a big deal. And you could watch Christian Black Lagoon at home on your TV in 3D and, and with your glasses. Um, and that's, that's I remember I was maybe like 12 or 13 or something like that. And I remember that was the first time I realized that you cannot watch a 3D movie without those glasses on. And you will get <laughs> yes. 
horrible headache because I, <laughs> I, it's like I started watching my friend's house and then had to go home and tried to finish watching it. And oh my gosh, yeah, that does not work. Um, uh, but, but having said, so, you know, and then, and then I obviously owned, I, I'm staring at my, my silver top series here of creatures from the black lagoon. And then I, I bought the legacy DVD series, the green cases. Um, and then obviously when these all came out on Blu-ray, I bought it and, and I just, just, you know, I'm watching on a big TV here in full HD. And I got to tell you that the creature suit sells perfectly in super high resolution. Like there's not a seam on that thing. It is, I know there was like a really laborious thing where they had to like, Put the put the actors in a in a bodysuit and then glue each piece separately to the kind of the way this is the kind of way you would do it now. It wasn't all one piece. It was like a bunch of segments that they would put they, almost like a suit of armor kind of goes together yeah. that they would they would build the the, the costume on on the actors on on either uh, Ben Chime or Riku Browning, um, and then later actors go after this. Um, but I'm just saying like there yeah there's not a visible seam. You know I'm just honestly even in Frankenstein 31. There's moments where you can see the little edge of the makeup on the bolts where, you know, the bolts attach to like a piece of fake skin and that's what they would glue to Karloff's neck. And in, even in the original Frankenstein and in, in the sequels for sure, there are moments where you can look, you can just kind of see the edge where those that that latex ends and, and Karloff's actual skin matches. Just sometimes it it's visible. I'm just saying like that on the creature, there's as far as I can see, like there's maybe sometimes his claws bend a little bit because they weren't totally hard, obviously, because that would yeah. be dangerous. Yeah, you, you can't hard, see that sometimes. Rubber. Yeah. Every once in a while, there's a little, like, his, the, especially the nails on his feet kind of bend a little bit when he walks and stuff. Okay, sure. But I'm just saying, like, the, the costume holds up so well, and they they shot it so beautifully where there's all this detail on and stuff like that. It's just, it's an incredible feat of of of, of, of makeup. Um, so, um, the creature's in the, in the pen, in the water, on the boat. Um, the creature's got to be confused. Like you brought me on the boat, but then you put me in water on the boat. You took me out of the water in the in the in the lagoon. Put me in different water. It's got to be like what? Um, uh, it's in the pen. Um, and and uh, Doctor Thompson is is standing guard. Um, Kay kind of comes up, and this is that scene where I was talking about where like out of nowhere in the movie we're like you know wait getting into almost the third act of the movie. Kay and Thompson, who really haven't had much of an interaction so far, have this really heart to, interesting heart-to-heart conversation. Um, and it, it's about... It's really good, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really well-written. Um, uh, I want to... Uh, what Whit Bissell like just kills the, and it starts with a great jump scare where she kind of surprises him and he jumps up and he, he grabs his gun and his pipe. <laughs> just, you know, in case. Um, but these two <laughs> characters are standing out there and, you know, Dr. Thompson is possibly one of the only characters in the film that is not a, you know, doesn't have some sort of romantic uh, attraction to Kay. I mean, I mean, I think he, I think he sees her as a very pretty younger woman and he kind of gives her this, it's really like fatherly advice, you know, like it's interesting. Um, And it's, it's about the relationship, but it's also, he reminds her that this is, it's just so good, especially for the era. Geez. That, that, you know, she, Kay thinks she owes Mark because Mark's given her this job and these opportunities. And then Dr. Thompson's like, yeah, but you know, some of these, all these good things that have happened for Mark are because of the work you did. So it goes, it goes both ways is what he's trying to say to her. And and he's telling her not to undersell herself. Um, he gives her really good advice it, and, and he really tries to um, assure her of her value 
when when she sometimes even like under underestimates herself it's 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 i don't know it's 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 a great little dramatic scene and it lulls you out of the the horror of the movie for a minute and you're like oh it does yeah that's nice and then immediately on the heels of that the girl man escapes and comes comes at them so so what it does is it, tr- it you know tricks you into forgetting for just a second what's going on and then and then the 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 bang at the end is all the more alarming for it. It's it's really good, and it also we've just seen this this character, Doctor Thompson, be you know, who's who was kind of surly earlier on, and you you know he was kind of the doubter. He was the one going like, "Haha, you know, prehistoric Devonian man, right? Sure, whatever." You know, he he was the skeptic, and then suddenly we see this like very you know endearing side of him that we haven't seen before, right before he gets totally mauled by the creature. <laughs> Like badly mauled, like badly hurt by this by this this uh, this this hor- horrific uh, uh, thing. Um, it, it grabs his face and he oh, he yeah. screams horribly. It's just so like it's brutal, it, and you feel like again it's that thing where like I think you can almost imagine how much that would hurt. It's 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 ripping his face. It's just awful. It is. It, it, it's so unsettling. So the, the, it's one of my and it's it's you know, we talk about so a little story here that this is like the circle of life for me because when i was a kid watching this 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 moment always stuck out to me and it was always like i said a little little frightening and and so unsettling because just the way that he gets that thompson gets attacked and and you just his whole head is just surrounded in the screams he lets out yeah and so you know this this past October, um, they had the 4K release of this film out out in in theaters in the AMC theaters, and so I, I took my kids with me and and we're watching it and and you know just the scene where the, the creature kind of knocked out looking up and and then eventually mm. comes up my, my nine year old daughter goes oh this is creepy <laughs> yeah good see <laughs> it was like oh passing yes. along that's great yes. raising your kids right <laughs> yeah. You're like, I creeped my kid out of the same thing that creeped me out. That's yeah, good. Exactly. But that's yeah. that's but that's just again like the timelessness of things. Like like these things work, and this scene works so well. It's constructed perfectly, and in a very contemporary way, like in a modern way, almost. That again, like the the shift from like okay, you know, we're gonna let you off the hook for a second, and then we're gonna bring it back, and and not only you know, not only then is it gonna strangle the guy. And he's going to scream, but then Kay throws a, a, a oil lantern at it and sets the thing's head on fire, which is just, it's out of nowhere. The, the creature's just standing there and this lan you don't see her winding up. This lantern just comes in from off screen and suddenly the, the, the creature is just a ball of, of flame um, because obviously the oil is broken all over its face and, and that's what's burning. Um I've watched this a few times and I'm not sure exactly how they did that. I don't know if the actor was wearing a fireproof suit underneath the Gilman suit. It doesn't look like it. I don't know if maybe the Gilman suit was treated with something. I don't know if that's Ben Chapman or or very possibly a stunt person. I don't think they would have. Although Ben Chapman was kind of technically a stunt guy, so it's it's almost like the Glenn Strange thing where they're like, we can like Glenn Strange on fire. He's just it's not like it's not like it's Karloff, right? Like, like poor Glenn, yeah, Glenn Strange had to deal with like a lot of things exactly, that they wouldn't yeah. they wouldn't have made Karloff or or Cheney or one of their prestige talents uh, do. So I don't know. I would I I I wonder if uh, 
if uh, if if it's if it's in Tom Weaver's book or or something when I talk about it, I I feel like I need to get this tone because the more I talk about this movie, the more I realize there's certain things about it that I, I've never known and I would like to. Um, yeah, but it, it's a it, it's a it's a almost a startling thing because it's just like instantaneous, you know, like it, the whole. The whole creature's you know oh, head yeah. just is just yeah. instantly engulfed. It's not in like flames. it catches on fire. It's he's instantly engulfed in flame. Yeah, he's he's you know, and I like that that frankly up until to this point, Kay does more damage to the creature than anyone else. Like, yeah. she just she doesn't <laughs> shoot him with a spear gun or something like that. She just chucks a freaking lantern at his head and just and immolates the thing. Um, I guess it doesn't have like super long term effects is the creature seems to bounce back pretty well and he doesn't seem that hurt by it but um you know um and then i mean to to finish out the scene the horror the, then she goes to dr thompson and he's writhing on the ground and moaning in pain we don't obviously see his face because they don't want to show any whatever damage well, you, the creature you, did the, in the there is a Whoa. yeah there is a blink if you miss it um you know scene where you because uh, i i did this as a kid where i like paused the VHS and did slow motion. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> playback, you know, and where you just catch an ever so short glimpse of his bloodied, like half of his face, it, right. just all covered in blood before he turns oh, his man. face over. Yeah. So you go back and try to try to do that. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really, it's really cool. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Hang on. Hold on everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You do see it for just a second. You see some blood and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like it. It's like the creature. It didn't just like cut the skin. It's like it like gouged trails in his face with its. It's just like oh come on. Like that's just that's awful. Um, poor Doctor Thompson. Um. Uh yeah. Again, but again, like yeah. Um, Kay actually does some damage and and, and makes the thing rough. So because what we do see is that. More than anything, fire is the thing that really, it's kind of like the Frankenstein monster. Fire is the thing that really the creature cannot tolerate because it's an aquatic creature. So the heat of the fire and stuff. And that's what in, in Creature Walks Among Us, obviously, is the, that's sort of what they do to, to finally trap the, the creature in that is they, they set it fully on, on fire. Um, not maybe quite as convincingly as they do in this film. Um, uh, this is, I, I like this moment where, there there's a decision coming coming here because there's a now now one of the members of the actual expedition has been hurt and and the the film does sort of treat the brazilian you know assistants and and guys who work on the boat and and whatever as as sort of like fodder and maybe that's a conversation for another time but you know it <laughs> yeah uh, basically, like well, I just, a white man has now been hurt, and so now it's serious, right? I mean, that's sort of how the film is it sort of does treat it, and that's you know a typical of the era. Um, uh, but but it is one of their own now has has been a, a guy a guy whose name we know <laughs> has been hurt, um, and now there's coming a reckoning where there's this moment where like should we just you know should we bail should we get out of here? Uh, because we've obviously underestimated because they had it trapped right and you know thought everything was okay and so there's this understanding now they're like okay i think we've underestimated this thing's strength and ferocity uh and and the danger of that so you know what do what do we do because because dr thompson's lying down there with his entire head held together with bandages basically um 
Yeah. And, I mean, and again, we're, it's we're a, go ahead. It's, it's a fair point because four people have, up to this point have died, you know, because yeah. there, there, right. there's the, the, the They're two. They're acknowledging this. Yeah, the 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 two um, you know in the tent of Doctor Maya's assistants, and then yep. there's Chico who gets taken from the boat, and then who I think I could be wrong in the name, but then Clay who who tries to to Pro- attack him on, on land, okay, yeah. protect K, and and uh, and then gets killed, and then now Doctor Thompson yeah. almost it, suffers it, the it, same it, fate, it's, but yeah, but he's still alive. Fatally. Yeah, and then, and then they're like, well. Maybe we should go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it, you know, it's a, it's a like again a fair point. Like, what what's the what's the value of the science if none of us make it make it home, you know, or whatever. Um, and and again, we've got the next step in uh, David and and Mark's warring ideologies, where Mark doesn't want to, you know, Mark's the one who doesn't want to leave now because he's like, well, we don't have our prize yet. Why we can't go? And he says, you know, we can't go home empty-handed. Um, and, and David's like, well, but, but what if we don't make it home, you know? And, and this, this in sci-fi and horror movies and everything, like becomes such a trope, this whole idea of like, you know, at what cost, right? Like, you know, you, 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 there's stakes and you have to, you have to come, you have to try to come back with whatever, but like, that doesn't matter if no one makes it, makes it home alive. Um, uh, David's got a great line where he's he's like, you know, we didn't come here to fight with monsters. Like they're not prepared yes. for this. And David's not saying like let's just run home and 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 forget this happened. He's like, let's go back, reequip. You know, I think he's like, possibly let's bring some more spear guns or something. And, you know, David is obviously is now appreciating the seriousness of 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 the you know the the danger of the creature, but but he doesn't want to go to war with it. And Mark is honestly craving going to war with this thing. And I think it, it's turned into this thing with Mark where he's like, I think he needs to prove that he's superior to, to the Gill man now. Like now he, now he feels like the Gill man's come on his boat and insulted him and hurt his people. And he, Mark wants revenge now. I think it, I think, I think all the science has gone out of Mark's, you know, in, in, in intentions. Now he, he just wants to punish the thing. He wants to, he wants to kill it. Yeah. Um, for now, what it's done. He, he feels like he's been, you know, one up, you know, he, cause they knocked him out once and it's, it's escaped and it's, it's killed people. And now it's like, you know, okay. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> he needs we, to we, he's been challenged. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is that great bit where, where <laughs> Captain Lucas is like, you know what? You're right. Let's, let's leave. And Mark's like, you're not going anywhere. And this is where Lucas just pulls a knife on him and puts it under his throat. And he's like, like, he's like, I will leave you here, buddy. Like, it doesn't like, again, Captain Lucas is, is, we realize he's not someone you mess with either. He, he may not be in the snazzy tennis pro shape of David and, and, uh, and Mark, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's a serious he, enough guy. He's not cut from marble like the like they are, but he, yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. These, these guys it, who look really, really impressive in their little briefs, but yeah, hey, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a great great shot too. It's one of my favorite parts of the the of the movie where he, <clears throat> excuse me, where he, you know, he just he he just ever so slightly, you know, takes it right up to underneath. Yeah, the chin. this He's knife like, just emerges from below camera. Yeah, like, like you were saying something, you know. <laughs> one one gets the impression this is not the first time Captain Lucas has had to 
convince somebody this way <laughs> of something. Yeah. Like, it's somewhere in his past. I think we, we could, we could have a whole Captain Lucas, like, prequel movie <laughs> to this thing of, like, all his other adventures of other, like, weird things he's found in, in the Amazon. I think it'd be great. Um, the Adventures of the Rita. The Adventures of the Rita. Because um, Lucas comes back in the next film, too. He takes the next party to the back to the Black Lagoon, I think. Doesn't he? Yeah, I, I think Nestor Paya is, uh, is in the, the next one, too. Um, uh, and now he's the one who's, like, got the most experience with the thing. Um, uh, so, so they're going to they're gonna roll out. Um, now everyone is armed. Everyone on boat has, like, a Winchester rifle, like, ready. Um, they're kind of in like, you know, Alamo mode at this point. Um, we are talking about the guys in their, in their, in their athletic physiques. I believe from here on, Richard Carlson never wears anything except those black swim trunks for the rest of the movie. Like there's, <laughs> yeah, it's even to the point where you're like, you know, David, this is serious. Can you put some clothes on? Like he just, <laughs> please put a shirt on. <laughs> he just, the rest of the movie is like half naked, the whole movie. Um, I'm sure the ladies and maybe some of the men in the audiences at the time had no problem with that in, in 3d, um, <laughs> in 3d, uh, um, they, they get going and, um, I, I think when I would watch the movie in old, in earlier years, I always assumed they kind of made it up the river a little ways, but they don't even get out. What you realize is because there's almost this little montage of them sailing away but you realize they don't even get out of the lagoon because because the creature has blocked the entrance to the lagoon so they they make it like 35 feet <laughs> and there you go um but right here and every, Liv and i were talk, discussing this before we started recording tonight um it's it's at 59 minutes and 20 seconds in the film as they're you know, sailing off as they've decided to finally like, you know, you know, put steam and, and, and get out of here. <clears throat> There's a cue that plays and it's, I'm pretty sure it's obviously Henry Mancini's composition. And if you listen to it at 5920, I'm not going to hum it for you guys. Cause I, I'm completely tone deaf. Um, it is definitely similar to moon river, the Henry Mancini song that became famous that Johnny Mercer uh, performed in 1961. So this is seven years before that, if you listen to it right at this time, it, it's it's the melody of the Moon River, and I can only assume it's it was Henry Mancini working on this melody, and you know, he, or putting it in here, and something stuck, and he eventually took this tiny little melody, do 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 do. There, there, I just did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hope no one's ears broke. Um, and and then evolved that into a hit song that that is quite quite famous and stuff. So I think it's interesting. It's just the idea of this this composer as a younger man, um, an emerging artist, have you like, like, you know, messing with ideas and melodies and things that go on and evolve into, into something much different. But there's, there's definitely a moment here in Christian Black Lagoon where we, I think we hear Moon River melody for the first time ever. It's beautiful. And it's called Moon River, which kind of is interesting. Yes. Um, it is. Yeah. Uh, they run into this roadblock. Uh, the Gill Man has, has created block them. So again, we're talking about like the Gill Man, he's problem solving. Like he's, he's not acting out of instinct. He has intentionally created an obstacle that he has figured out this boat cannot get past. So there's, there's strategy involved now. Um, and there's also menace. Like he's, it, you know, we're talking about how, how Mark wants revenge against the creature, but 
the creature obviously like the creature could just let these people go and they would leave and he'd be he'd be okay now he's not okay with that he wants no, he wants to hurt not. them he wants to hurt them back so in that way he's very human too like he the creature wants revenge which you know he finally gets in the next film appropriately titled revenge of the creature um uh but in that way it is it it starts getting very much like predator where they're trapped you know they now now they're stuck now they can't get off now they're you know um uh but it's also um uh it's a, it's a it's an obstacle but it's a trap too because i think somehow the creature knows that they're going to try and get past that and to do that mark has to um or one of them has to go you know down into the water and and um <clears throat> and and un, un free free up the uh the obstacle this this leads to this kind of like altercation where Mark wants to go down and and take care of the problem, uh, but he wants to take the spear gun. And David is very well aware that that Mark wants to 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 just kill the thing. Yeah. Um and they, you know, go down and they have this kind of this kind of argument. Um and Dave, David ends up slugging uh Mark. Because he knows Mark's just going to try and kill it, which you know, obviously, David works for Mark, so it's probably not the best idea in the world for to punch your boss. Uh, well, it's it's I mean, it's Mark. Mark punches him first. Oh, that's true. Um, because uh, <clears throat> he kind of says, "You know, no, I'm going," and he's like, "No, you're not." Oh, that's right. And so Mark like, does punch he, him first. He, you're right. He, and he's like, a, "It's kind of like a Han Solo, you know, who <laughs> who yeah, shot first? Who shot first? <laughs> but, yeah." But he, but you know, anyways, he. He says, "Oh, we'll see about that." And you, you just he slugs him and, and it hits him good, and and then that's when David comes back and and hits him one even even better and, and kind of knocks him out, and then uh, takes his stuff and go and and yeah. it's a it's a good setup because you you almost you forget about it you know in this in this next scene until you see him again. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you, you think he's down for the count, you know, he's kind of like groggy, and you think he's kind of um, defeated. Uh, and they're good yeah. punches too. They're much better than say some of David Manners' punches in some other movies. Let's just like yeah. like or or I mean not to pick on David Manners. Uh, honestly, the the fight scene in the beginning of House of Wax with Vincent Price from right around this era, not the most gritty, intense. It's more you know this is more like a cowboy fight scene. These guys are again they're in shape and they you know they they throw a good hook. Um, yeah. Um, so so with David. You know, or with Mark kind of down, David's going to go underwater. He's he's going to take the spear gun. He's not, you know, he's not stupid. He's like, no, this thing's like out here to kill me. So, I, I don't think David would let the creature kill him in the name of science. Like, you know, he will defend himself, but you know, he's hoping for a better solution. Um, he goes down. Uh, he's trying to free the thing up, and this is that scene I was talking about where like they're underneath all this this vegetation, these these big branches, and um. And there's lines, you know, the the cables from the winch that they're trying to do the thing. And and here's Rico Browning swimming in and around these things in the costume with no oxygen underwater. And there's long shots that goes on for a little while. Um, and I was like, the chances of him just getting stuck somehow or something like that were not insignificant. I, I really like, it's really wild. Um, uh, <clears throat> he comes after David. And Mark actually shows up. So Mark has decided to, like you're saying, yeah, we've kind of like forgot about Mark, but Mark does like show up again. And 
here we have like almost our biggest underwater battle. Yeah. Um, like a wrestling match almost where, um, and what I love the, the creatures, one technique, I don't know whose idea this was. This is brilliant. Probably maybe Jack Arnold, but, um, uh, and I got to say, like, I've been talking about the underwater stuff because it's so impressive, but Jack Arnold did direct the heck out of his movie. Like, oh my gosh, like the, all the, everything. And I know from, from, uh, sort of some of the actors, uh, Julie Adams and, and Rico Browning saying that, and Ben Chapman saying like, he didn't really like direct performances. He basically said, stand here, do this, whatever like that. But I get the feeling he's, there's such a cohesive idea. This is all really one movie. It's it, the timing and all the, the cadences and the way the, the dialogue goes and the action goes and stuff like that. It's so solid that like, this is, and we're just talking about like an ace director here. Um, oh, I was saying that, that the, the creature's strategy with, with Mark is he, you know, he swims and he inverts himself, grabs his ankle under his arm and, and swims downwards and, you know, drags Mark down, which is such yeah. a neat, it's such a, um, it, it's scary. Not, not the way, not ways. the way a human would fight underwater at all, right? Yeah. I mean that—that's what's and and I do think that isn't that kind of like what is partially really scary about the creature is that like like it's going to drag you down into this water in the dark where you can't see what it's doing and it's going to take you into this world that's that's frankly that's lethal to humans. Like you can't, you know, underwater is we're not built to be underwater. It is, and um. I love just this fight scene he has with Mark where they're kicking up all the, all the dust and the kelp and everything. Yes. And you get this moment where you feel like for the first time, Mark is terrified. There's a moment where he tries to swim away and the creature comes up out of the, he almost gets away. Yeah. 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 And, and you realize like Mark is really, Mark is realizing how screwed he is like in this moment. Like he's like, I've, I've made a very critical error here <laughs> i've made a few critical errors and this is what's let me hear and there's this great moment where the creature it it rips out his hose the the hose that goes from his tank to his mask with its teeth with its mouth and it's interesting because the creature doesn't have fangs or anything like that so the the creatures we talk about the claws like the creature never uses its mouth as an offensive weapon it it, it doesn't seem like that's part of its what it does um but it's neat how it does use it that one thing and and somehow that's Rico Browning in the mask, somehow using like with his real mouth, like doing that. That's a, it's such a cool. That's so creepy though. You you know this idea of like someone ripping out your your tank, your your oxygen, depriving you like that. Yeah, it's like he knows you know he knows what what to do, and and you know he yeah. knows ways to to you know yeah. fatally. It, <laughs> harm it's like you. He, he's figured out the human's vulnerabilities. He's he somehow has figured out. Because he didn't understand it at first, it seems, but now he he realizes these things can't breathe like I can underwater. They're using these things to 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 let them breathe, and but so that's what he goes for. He he's trying to drown them, so he's learned that much, and that's that's the that's the whole. It's again, we'll go back to Jurassic Park with that the whole bit where the the game warden guy is like talking about the Velociraptors. He's like, no, no, they were. They were attacking different fences, different parts of the fence every time. They didn't attack the same part. He's like, they're, they're they remember, they're learning, like, and that's the creepy part of it. They're like the 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 hyper intelligence of of an animal that's that's strategizing against you is really creepy. Um, uh, so so you know the Mark did sort of save David because I, I it, it did seem like David was probably in quite a bit of trouble there underneath the the thing. Um, but in so doing, Mark does die. And so I guess, you know, I mean, I think the 
the idea of the movie is that Mark dies kind of heroically, uh, this, this sort of questionable character, but I, I still think he just was doing what he wanted to do was, was to prove that he was, you know, the, the, the equal, if not more of, of, of the creature. So, I mean, he dies and you're like, okay, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, th- I think, how do I say this? I, maybe you're, maybe I'm supposed to feel a little more sympathy for Mark than I do when he finally dies, but I am to the point at this u- point in the movie usually where I'm just like, okay, we can, we can stop with this whole, like, we've got to do this to the creature. Come on, David. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, one, a great shot of where you just see Mark's body, lifeless body, just floating yeah. <laughs> up to the top. And then, it, then you kind of, you do, you do, uh, kind of feel bad for Kay because when she sees it, she doesn't know who it is. Yeah. You his know, hair's she, wet enough. She, she's not sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she's not like, Oh, okay. It's just Mark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it's really sad. Um, uh, yeah. Cause, th- cause then, uh, David pops up and he's like, Oh, you know, you know, here. um, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the rest of the, party is is obviously still upset i mean you know this is this is still one of their own and yeah we didn't agree on everything he was a bit of a douche but you know okay um uh but they're gonna figure out what to do um i gotta say the the one thing i do notice having been on some sets with firearms is that the barrel discipline of everybody on this boat is terrible Everyone is con- everyone with holding a gun yes. is constantly just turning and sweeping everyone else with the barrel. They're not pointing it at the ground or up. In, you know, everyone is constantly pointing guns at each other on the boat, which is just. Uh. Well, I guess, I guess is what happens when you give a bunch of scientists firearms. I guess I don't know, it's not like it's not like they're in the military. None of these people are trained for this. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, and and it's interesting because they've they've shot at the creature a few times already, and it it's kind of hasn't had much effect they've shot him with things and stuff but um but we do see eventually in the end that that the the guns do do what they're supposed to um what i like about so we're really getting into the finale of the film now and what i really like about the idea of the story is that david um he kind of uses he uses his brain he because they're really stuck now they can't go down in the water and open the winch because as soon as someone goes down there the creature's coming for them it's it's waiting you know it's like bait um David comes up with the idea of like, well, what if we take the Rodinaw, which which is, you know, obviously isn't powerful enough to really do much damage to the creature to knock it out. What if we concentrated it, put it in the thing and use like basically the spear gun, except instead of shooting a spear, we shoot like a concentrated dose of of the drug right at the creature. What Wouldn't that give us enough time to at least like, you know, dull it, or get it stoned enough or whatever to, um, to, uh, you know, have time to, to release the wench and stuff. So, so that's, that's the plan. So he, he uses science sort of as a solution inst- instead of violence. And that's, again, that's sort of like how he, you know, approaches a problem versus how, how Mark would, would have approached a problem. Um, uh, so, so, you know, they, they decide to, cause, cause their other problem is they don't actually have that much of the drug left. So they've got to make it count. Um, so they go in and they, they do this thing where they, you know, we have the little science thing and they, um, this is again. This is one of my awesome favorite scenes in the movie, where uh, Doctor Maia is like mixing up the, the the potion, right, in this little beaker, and he's dumping all of the whatever. Um, Doctor Thompson is watching them from bed, still with his face open. And she looks up, <laughs> yeah. and the creature's hand is coming in the 
the, the porthole window. And, he's, and he can't start Dom's just trying to scream yeah. something, but he can't because it's, it's like they had to wire his jaw shut or something. Like the creature messed up his head so much. Um, and he's like, oh. And so again, like, you know, but the, it's like the hand comes in and my favorite thing is Dave, David just grabs like like a, a hammer or a sticker and starts just banging at its hand. Whacking and the creature's like, it, ow, yeah. ow, my knuckles. Like it's just, it's, for the creature to be so uh, dangerous, there's also just this funny moment where he's, he's swatting at it, like trying to make it go away. Like, will you give us just a second here, buddy? Um, that's really yeah, great. Um, <laughs> Dr. Thompson is, is literally in danger, you know, several points, you know, after he's, yeah. he's, he's attacked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so, okay. Uh, again, they've got, so David's going to go in the water. He's got his oxygen tank, but then he's got this other tank that has the rodent on. Um, and that he's going to use the spray and, and, and he's, but he's breathing through his, uh, respirator. So conceivably that amount of stuff in the water isn't going to get him, is going to affect him is the theory. I don't know if that's, you know, how solid the science is on that, but we'll give it to him. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like he'd get a little blowback is what I'm saying. It's like, it's like, you know, like. They say, like, if you're going to mace somebody, like an attacker or something like that, you'd be prepared because you're going to get some of that mace back in your face, too. Like, it, 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 that's just, it doesn't only go, only go one way. I don't know. I've actually seen that where somebody was chasing somebody else, a, a shoplifter, and mm-hmm. he pulls out his mace and goes to, as he's Spray running, it. And then you run it, through and it. he just runs right into it. That's really, he's I heard that's like common. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that about a guy who, who did that to a bear. He was trying to chase the bear away, and he sprayed bear mace at the thing, but then he ran through the cloud of bear mace. And almost incapacitated himself. So, you know, these these sort of situations. The the plan conceivably works. David gets down there. The creature comes at him. He brings out the uh, the the the, the rodent sprayer and and gives the thing like you know two or three or four like good doses in his face. And every time it does it does make if nothing else it does make the creature like like go away from him. Like it, you know, it's it the the creature definitely doesn't like it. It's also visually like awesome. It's this like I don't know what they, I would be surprised if they used like powdered milk or something like that under pressure and just like sprayed it out. And, 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 and you get this big billowy white cloud in this dark lagoon water, which is like, which, you know, it's, it's just, it's a neat visual thing. And, and then you see like Rico Browning, like flopping around within this, this cloud of everything. Um, this is one of my favorite of Julie Adams' outfits in the scene because she's basically wearing like just a bandana on top of her. Body. Yes, so <laughs> it's, it's like a backless. It's, uh... Yeah, it's not, it's not not the worst. I, you know, I, I know like the her attire for the era was considered just a little bit risky. I, you know, her she she talks about her her bathing suit cut up really high on her thighs and and whatnot. It wasn't it wasn't totally modest, which is a bit refreshing to see in a, in a Universal film, which which tended to tended to be pretty puerile a little bit you know everything was sort of a a hint rather than a, a complete you know yes whatever so anyway it's just so i one thing you can the creature from black Lagoon does not skimp on skin either for men or women there's <laughs> there's plenty <laughs> there true. for everybody yeah everybody <laughs> everyone can find something to enjoy i mean nestor mr nestor pavia is dressed pretty well so you know if that's Absolutely. your type yeah. of thing then you'll be a little disappointed otherwise yeah. you should be good David kind of gets the finally gets gets the chance to get the winch hooked and they they um you know he gets back on board safely so 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 the plan kind of worked um uh they do this whole process where they they back up and they 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 have the winch attached to this branch and so now they they um 
uh, are are able to clear the blockage and, and conceivably like okay now now great we can we can leave we can leave the lagoon we'll, we'll get away. Um, unfortunately, while everyone is is distracted by the thing, the cre- the creature comes back on the boat for this is like his fourth or fifth visit to the boat at this point. Like it it really. I feel like I feel like well, I guess I guess they don't have enough people to really be keeping an eye on everything, but you know, here he is. Um, and again, and of course, he goes for K. Like he, you know, there's there's definitely a Beauty and the Beast, Kong and Fei Ray kind of thing happening here with the creature and 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 uh, and K. And I don't know if the implications he 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 just likes her because she's different, or if she if he wants her as a mate. Possibly, you know, I, I mean, you know, whatever they're implying that they weren't going to say outright, obviously, in 1954. Um, yes. This, the allusions to bestiality or whatever, what have you. Um, but what's great is when he's on the boat and he, and he, he comes towards her and it, again, like the, the film plays with this POV thing where the creature's, you know, Ben Chapman in, in the creature's costume is coming right at camera. And he's, so you can imagine you're K, you can really imagine that you're there and, and the monster is coming right, and he does this the slow walk thing. You know, he doesn't move fast for a creature that's so agile underwater. When he's above water, the creature is kind of clumsy. Like he doesn't, he shuffles and he doesn't whatever. And that was, I know that was like intentional. With that's like the direction kind of Jack Arnold gave Ben Chapman was like, like no, you're you're comfortable underwater. You're not as comfortable on on land or on ground so you know he has this kind of like lumbering kind of frankensteinish kind of kind of walk um yeah the mouth go ahead yeah i was just gonna say you you obviously there there's a reason why he wants to take everything into the water aside from the fact that he he really can't breathe that well you know (laughs) yeah in air but like you feel like he struggles a little bit on that yeah exactly that's his comfortable zone um uh uh so he does he grabs he grabs k uh, or, or very possibly, uh, Julie Adams stunt woman, uh, because, because he literally like grabs her and dives overboard quite a distance into the water with, with her. So I, I, I don't know if that was another stunt guy or, or if that was Chapman or, or who, whomever, um, uh, and, and takes her down and he basically he takes her down in his underground, uh, you know, passage into, into his, uh, into his lair, into his grotto, um, uh, bring her in. and here we have like some of those great scenes of of which you you've seen stills of where he's doing the like I call the Frankenstein carry where he's just you know she's just unconscious in his arms and and he's just shuffling and walking um the forbidden planet pose shall we say um uh, uh of the 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 monster whoever it is carrying the girl um yes th- this is the one where he bonked her head right that there's yeah. <laughs> a very narrow passage that he's carrying her through in the cave, which we've sort of seen before. And, you know, Ben Chapman's carrying Julie Adams, all hundred and some pounds soaking whatever, just in his arms. And he's wearing the, the, the costume. So he said, you know, he has very poor visibility. And what does he say? Like he felt, he, he felt a clunk and then he heard yelling and stuff. And, and what he realized is he, he basically just cracked her head against some of the fake rocks on the side of the, the, the things that I think isn't there there's like photos of like the medics on set like putting a band-aid on her yeah, head and stuff right the, they they universal managed to turn that into a little bit of a photo op I think yeah like, I, I think they kind of played it up to to yeah <laughs> to I think more so. what it was but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think it was very a very small affair but yeah um uh <clears throat> yeah 
and so one last thing I'd really want to talk about that, and you see it in the scene where so um, which is by the way beautiful, and it's underlit with water, and uh, Julie Adams is like right in the creature's arms and everything. But um, Mark or uh, David has followed it into the grotto, and it's chasing, and he chases through this tunnel, and they come out, and he comes out into like the the big main kind of section of the thing, and the the creature has put um k down on this little island in the middle of like the there's like a little mini lagoon inside its own grotto and it's 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 kind of gone underwater i think to to refresh its itself because i i feel like the whole thing is like it can't exist too long in in the in the above water like it's it's actually more like a lungfish than it is a an actual true amphibian like a frog or something like that it's 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 like we keep saying, like the water is its natural environment and it, it can deal with being on land for a while, but has to keep going back. Um, there's this great shot where David comes out to the thing and he sees her lying on this rock where he, where the creatures left her and it's gone in the water behind her. So, the, so it's, you know, practical set and there's, there's fake rocks and everything like that. And then behind them, there's like this matte painting. It's not even a matte painting. I think it's like a backdrop painting that they, they actually had in there. Uh, like a scene, scenic. Um, you've have you seen this, Livio? Like, like it looks like there's some sort of like columns or human-made structure deep in the background behind her. If, 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 do you know what I'm talking about, or is this just a me thing? Uh, I, I think so. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I have to go back and, and look at. It. I'm not sure I've I've caught on to that though. I, I'm absolutely, and I'm watching, I've paused right now in HD. I should probably take a picture of it, but I, I, I'm using the phone for the, 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 the call. But, um, it looks honestly like they're almost like ancient, like Roman type looking, some kind of column. And it's almost like there's like a ruin, like a, a subterranean temple or ruin or something like that in the background. And my, I, I remember seeing it even in the old days, seeing this on, on VHS and I always had this idea of like, what if, you know, we're in South America, what if there was some, you know, tribe or some ancient civilization, like a Mayan type, you know, or, or Incan civilization that worshipped the creature and, and, and has <laughs> since gone extinct, right? Yeah. And, and somehow like, very it's, possible. Yeah. it stays in this, it stays living in this, in this cave where it was like, it was worshipped and maybe women were sacrificed to it and who knows um because it looks like k the way he is has k on this rock she looks like a sacrifice she looks like she's on you know there to to be to have something you know be executed or or i don't know bread or or, or something some something's up um it looks ceremonial it doesn't look like uh, you know maybe it's accidental but it, it has this this thing so i don't know i have no idea if that's just a trick of the light or a, or a weird part of the painting if it was intended, if it's something I have totally inferred, I'd be fascinated to hear if, if other people listening to this have had that same conclusion or if that's even like a pop culture myth or something that I have no idea. Anyway, I just, I like the, I like the possibility that there's a story here that we don't know that, you know, is, you know, whatever. Um, so David, David runs up to Kay, um, uh, and, and wakes her up and, you know, she's, quite happy to see him she's been through quite this ordeal um the creature comes up out of the water we have the 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 music again um and it's kind of refreshed i feel like it's kind of restored a little bit so maybe that's part of what the water does to it um you've if you you've seen the pot the meme uh livio i don't want to i don't want to say it out say it on the the 
show because we try to be a little family friendly. But it's it's the all this different clips of the creature breaking things and throwing things, and it's it's f this and f this and f this thing too and f this and you you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. And, I think this is like one of the beginning bits of that where it picks up David's spear gun and just just hurls it to the side. It's like f this thing, like, <laughs> f this thing too. Um, uh, so so it takes David's spear gun and it attacks him. And the thing I one thing I, I just I think just works so well with this bit is that David now is reduced to fighting this thing with like he's he's like he throws a rock at it. And then he has to fight it with his knife and stuff like that. This man of science who came to this place, you know, with a boat and equipment and scuba gear and cameras and spear guns, and all this stuff like that. He's now, he's now a caveman fighting this ancient thing, you know, with, with just tools that, that Neolithic people had. Uh, he's been reduced to that. It's so desperate, which I, I just love. Like that's, you know, um, uh, and the creature like literally lifts him up in the air above its head. Like it's going to just chuck him. Like the, the, again, the, the power of the creature is just hilarious. It's terrifying. Yeah, and, and you know when he when the creature, you know, comes up out of the water and um, <clears throat> he grabs the gun and he throws it and he it bends the gun. You know when when the gun yeah. when the spear gun makes the impact. You know it, it it's it like bends it. So it gives you an idea of how hard or how much force was behind the you right. know the throw <laughs> for the, pow- the power for the, the thing, creature. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 a great it's it's a great you know ending because David was was gonna die. I mean, very quickly oh, for too. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but then for... at the you know at the last minute, the creature's stumbling away. It stumbles out of the 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 the, the grotto and 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 down the beach to back to the water where you know it it, it feels safe. And there's a moment at the end where Doctor Maie is aiming his gun. He's gonna shoot it one more time, and David stops him, and he's like, "No, just." let it go it's it, you know this this thing that just almost killed him and almost almost killed Kay. he takes his minutes like no don't you know let let it let it be um it's not a one final thing like it's it's not a triumphant win at the end for for these humans they're they're not he you know david and, and Kay aren't happy that that they've killed the creature at all you know they or, or at least severely injured it. Um, um, yeah. That's not who they are. They're, it, it, there's no winners here. Like there's just been losers. There's just been, there's been death where there shouldn't have been. Um, there's been injuries where there's, you know, you know, and, and this miraculous thing that they found that that was also, also had the potential to be completely, you know, devastating um, uh is 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 lost now. So so every everyone basically everyone loses in this in this film, which is an interesting thing. You know, the creatures the creatures the first universal monster that was created post the atomic bomb. And yes. So much of 50s uh sci-fi is obsessed with atomic energy with radiation with bombs bombs create radiation creating giant monsters creating as soon as as soon as they found out the radiation makes cells mutate and and sometimes expand and do weird things they they you know that the whole the godzilla thing you know yeah, say godzilla yeah. um, and this film never alludes to the the nuclear age at all but i my thing is i think the the way we thought of a monster what we the way we thought of what a monster was changed after 1945 kind of um and the creature represents this kind of latter half of the 20th century type of a monster that that unlike 
Frankenstein monster or the Wolfman or something. Um, you know, he's tragic in that same way, but <clears throat> he carries like a certain lack of human morals. Like the, the, the one thing the creature sort of has, the creature itself doesn't have empathy. I don't think it, it doesn't seem like it, whatever, but, but it has a purity to it that, that goes beyond that because it, it doesn't, it doesn't do things based on our idea of morals. It, it just has its own way of, of living. Um, yeah. Which obviously yeah. Is, has suited it for thousands of Perfectly good for years, thousands of years know. until these yeah. bozos showed up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, um, uh, it's, it's such a great ending. And it's, it's interesting, like, again, uh, we'll go back to, you know, the ending of Jaws where you sort of see, like, the, 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 the shark at the end after Brody explodes it you know, sinking down to the bottom. And, you know, obviously I think that's a direct reference to this shot, final shot of the creature where yeah. it's just, it's just floating down to the bottom of, of the lagoon to uh, rest and recuperate until a year later when another party comes to find him. Um, uh, it's, it is, it's, it's a Pyrrhic victory at the, at the end with, with these characters. And I think that's kind of neat. Um, uh, but it's nice that it doesn't, um, that way, revenge of the creature is not a cheat. You're not like, oh wait, the creature exploded. How did that happen? Like, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, well, wait, wait, hang on. Um, it's conceivable, like, like you know, they thought the creature was dead and it goes back, and and maybe there is something about the lagoon that regenerates this creature. Maybe this is how this thing has lived so long. I don't know. Um, but you know that 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 it, it heals it from these bullet wounds that that you know whatever. Um. But, uh, yeah, because you, you see the the bullet wounds, you know. It's oh yeah, even, no, it's even in his head. You know, it as, seems as, mortally wounded for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, this film was such a success that yeah, Universal just a year later uh, comes back with with Revenge of the Creature, which we will be talking about later in the year. I can't wait. Um, this is so great. I was so glad to finally hit the the last of the big eight here with the you know we I wanted to I wanted to hold off because. While we're not following all the Universal films in perfect chronological order, we are skipping around quite a bit. Um, it did seem only appropriate to talk about almost all the other big names before we got to Creature, since since he does represent sort of a ending of Universal monsters in one way, in the beginning, in in a, in a new way. So um, yes, this is fantastic. Thanks for sticking out with me, Livia, with your sore throat. I'm, <laughs> no I'm, problem. If, 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 if anyone thinks I was talking over Livia too much more than usual even in the, in this episode it, he was trying to rest his voice as much design. as possible yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so it wasn't just all me um uh this was great uh everybody thank you so much for listening to this episode i appreciate it uh please if you don't subscribe to the podcast uh you can you know check check it out on all your favorite platforms hit subscribe you will get new episodes in your inbox every two weeks every other thursday we uh pop out another uh, episode we got some great stuff coming up we're doing uh mad love we're uh coming back with some of the val luden films uh some more obscure even uh universal ones going back into the 40s now and stuff so um we have some great stuff coming up in 2023 so thanks very much take care guys good night guys thank you for listening to this episode but the fun does not stop here you can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on facebook instagram and twitter The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino.
The music was composed by Sean Gould. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Thank you.